Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. They all get sucked into a cult, but it can happen to anyone. Here are five red flag warning signs that you've fallen prey to a predatory cult. Cults use constant lies and propaganda, indoctrinating people into believing their cult is right and good. Members and outsiders alike are shunned for disagreeing with the cult's ideology or its leaders, who are believed to have superhuman qualities. They're discouraged from asking questions or thinking critically and are unable to change their minds even when presented with clear evidence of corruption, incompetence, deceit, misconduct, and evil. Cults constantly engage in black and white thinking and fear of the outgroup. We're good, they're bad. We're enlightened, they're brainwashed. We're right, they're wrong. Only our group is moral. Collectivism is key. Cults exploit you financially, taking your money and providing little to no accountability as to how they spend it. They'll insist it's for the good of the group and shame you for not contributing. Cults emphasize special doctrines and set rigid rules and regulations that demand strict obedience. You're punished if you dare to disobey these rules or fail to comply exactly how they expect you to. You might even be punished even when you comply fully or haven't disobeyed at all. Authority is paramount across all variations and brands of cultism, and defying it is sin that warrants brutality. Cults demand intense loyalty to the group and its leaders, who are considered to know best what's right for everyone. Because of this, there's never a good reason to leave. If you do, it's because you're wrong, bad, crazy, and a threat to the security of the group. This is you. Don't panic. Simply stop making excuses for psychopathic authoritarians of all partisan persuasions who rule over a system that has trained you since birth to make moral exceptions for their depraved, violent, megalomaniacal monopoly over your freedom. Take responsibility for your life and claim your own self-worth so you aren't susceptible to the false promises of these manipulative power mongers who convince you your subservience to their power sets you free. The cult leaders and their enforcement henchmen can't control people if their followers stop believing in their propaganda, refuse to buy into their fake authority, and start believing in themselves. Sound like too much work? It's still not as hard as facing the ramifications of being a slave to a death cult that's rapidly destroying humanity. Sunday, July 30th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I love Carrie Weather. She's just always... Seize through the two-party paradigm. <laughs> you want to rise to the top of my list, see through the two-party paradigm. She's somebody that I really hope to work with in the near future for The Last American Vagabond. One of the reasons of many that we're trying to increase you know, revenue, marshal funds to be able to expand and bring new people on, her being one of them. I've talked to her in the past about potentially being an editor for TLAV. So you guys, you know what we need. Help us grow. But that clip is such an important it's, – it's interesting how angry that makes everybody within the within the paradigm that is because it exposes it makes people uncomfortable when they confront the things that they don't want to see in many cases people choose not to look at it for that very reason it's an important thing to think about the the overlaps between the occult and (laughs) occult (laughs) what we're looking at in the political sphere the the team sport politics that everybody seems to be aware of today but continues to take part but today we're going to have a really important conversation About something we've talked about a lot, bioweapons in a broad sense. We've talked about ticks in general, Plum Island, the the history around what this, what, you know, just to be objective, what may have taken place there in regard to using them to be carriers of, you know, uh, pathogens, bioweapons in general is the right term. True Street Media will go over that clip today and talk about what this really shows you. But we're going to talk about something a little more abstract in regard to what this may be used for. And we're going to, in my opinion, I think, prove 
one, that these things are very real and the concept of bioweapons that have been worked on, that are being worked on, how that's being applied and an overlap with the COVID conversation. And then ticks in particular and whether that's playing a part then, now. And that's all things that I think we can prove. Those are all things I think we can prove. But we're then going to get into whoops, a little more abstract conversation about how that might be applied in regard to climate change and whether there are other things being done to effectively do things that the establishment decides are in your best interest, or at least that's what they tell you. That may just be what they want you to think while they're doing it for their interest. But things like, you know, a vaccine to stop you from wanting to smoke cigarettes. It's a real thing. A vaccine to stop you from doing things that are inconvenient to the empire or, you know, that they will tell you for your best interest. You know, eating meat, it's a problem, they tell you, because climate change. Well, what if they decided to make something that would stop you from wanting to eat meat? Who, who in this conversation wouldn't say that that's a good thing to do? You know, in the climate change conversation, who, which, how many of them would refuse or who, would stand up and say, no, we shouldn't do that because it's not right because informed consent. Well, where were they during COVID-19? It's the same argument. Those things were all still there. They still then nonetheless stood up and said, but grandma, but you do this because society, because science, even though that doesn't change informed consent or your ability to make your own personal bodily choices, but that still happened. So as we step into this new direction of the technology we're going to talk about, and which is not new in the sense that it's, you know, what they've been working on, but how it's being presented to us today, I really want to open this conversation to, you know, what people would call conspiracy theory, but that's what we do on this show is we prove things and then we take the next step. Because so many people are afraid to do that, which is why we tend to be so far ahead of these stories. And I'll make that point now in regard to the collapsing athletes before we get into the immediate point about Robert Cadillac and his admissions about whether or not COVID-19 was natural and whether the vaccine technology was why it actually happened. And it's an interesting way that it's being covered. But the big point today is about the bioweapon conversation, both ethnic focused and not using ticks in that regard and whether that's being used already. And then if we have time, a point about just climate change in general, about, you know, to show you why that's being used at the end of the story today, if we have time to get to it. But I think what's most concerning is about whether or not these things might already be in play and we might already be dealing with them. Like we, we right now we talk about COVID-19 and the vaccines, vaccine side effects. I don't think there's anybody who has brain cells to rub together should not be dismissing that that is happening. We can debate the amount of vaccine injuries, but it's so vividly clear that everybody that was saying that is right, that is definitely happening, and these things are dangerous, and on and on. But it becomes very easy to kind of just couch everything in that conversation. What if someone's dealing with EMF problems? What if someone's dealing with dioxin poisoning? What if someone's dealing with lead in their water? Or, you know, all these things end up having a lot of similar overlaps. Like we talked about the endocrine disrupting chemicals which basically seems to be near everything that's causing a problem today. The injections, we'll talk about things today. It's interesting how they all seem to go in that direction, but we could easily say all of that's COVID-19. You get my point? So I think we need to at least stand back and ask whether there might be multiple factors in all of this. So I want to start with, uh, oh, I did have one more opening point that I thought was important just to kind of, you know, start with something funny. I, we, I, I made this point as well in regard to the alien conversation, which I made my point if you want to see it, I think, in the show before last about, you know, it's not something we should necessarily dismiss, but I don't know why anybody would believe what the government is saying about anything for that matter right now, but let alone topics like this. 
But NBC News came out and said the news that the government may be in possession of non-human biological matter and UFOs was met with surprising apathy online. <laughs> you don't say. The announcement spawned a lot of memes, but many of them signaled how disinterested users were. Well, really what it showed you is we don't buy it. Doesn't mean that we, you know, those of us are objective. We don't need to know that it's not true, but I'm not buying what you're selling. That's what it was really about. As Slow News, they said, as Steve said, it was met with apathy in real life, too, mostly because nobody trusts a single solitary word the state says. I love it. Exactly the point. And then Chief Nerds put this out. I think it's just funny. Same kind of point. U.S. government. We have non-human biological entities in our possession. <laughs> and the public just goes back to sleep like, eh, you know, if you guys like SpongeBob SquarePants, it'll be a little bit more funny for you. But it's just it's really what happened, which is kind of incredible, actually. Now, on the note of the collapsing athlete point that I just made, and I, this does have a larger point around all this in regard to both being kind of ahead of some of these stories, but also just what, in conjunction with the vaccine side effects, might be leading in the same direction. The point I was making earlier. But so this is really interesting to me. This is on a gigantic channel on YouTube. You can see his nice fancy YouTube thing plaque in the background there, which I should have gotten technically, even though they didn't send me one, which I don't care about, but just to show how it's definitely a tiered system on all these platforms, but that he is out here right now, and it's, it's a reasonable video. It's short, but actually, oh, I forgot that I did bring it up. Let's play the opening to it before I even get into it so you can see what I'm talking about. Or maybe I don't. Oh, you know what I forgot? I'm just going to do it right here. News here, TMZ reporting that LeBron James's son, Bronny, has suffered a cardiac arrest during a basketball workout. Grammy-winning singer Tori Kelly rushed to the hospital after collapsing while out with friends. Yeah. From PSG, he's not gone on the tour of Japan. Shut! Shut! Right away, you know, you worry about Marquise uh, and just his health, period. So there's an awful lot of coincidences going on recently, and I do think it's important to point out that coincidences do occur. But I also think it's fair to say that something alarming is happening right in front of our faces. And the mainstream dinosaur media seems insistent that you don't even entertain one of those possibilities. Because when you look at the Daily Mail's front page article on Bronnie James's cardiac arrest, they report during a practice at USC, he suffered cardiac arrest that experts believe may end his athletic career. Crazy. As at 9 a.m., 911 was called. The ambulance arrived, code three, lights and siren, to rush him to the intensive care units, and he has since re- Covered and is in stable condition. But this is the second time this year that a USC basketball player had suffered cardiac arrest. And half a year since the NFL player DeMar Hamlin collapsed during a football game where he had to be resuscitated, which we've been covering coincidences the last couple years. From European soccer's mysterious wave of heart conditions, tennis and the chest issues that had multiple players dropping out of the Australian Open, and how suddenly blood clots started impacting a growing number of young athletic women. Now, a lot of those stories, when we actually looked into them, were were inconclusive. Sometimes stories were taken out of context to build a tinfoil hat theory, and sometimes these individuals had long-time issues with their heart, and this was nothing new to them. But sometimes, we simply had no explanation why all these previously healthy individuals suddenly had life-threatening issues seemingly right after they all took the same medication. Now, we're not saying a certain medicine is always causing this, but it's crazy that if you even suggest that this certain medicine sometimes causes this, there's an outrage. As the Daily Mail... Okay, you get the point. Now, the reason that I'm using his video is because I appreciate the fact that he has been at least mildly self-censoring, which, again, I've made the point in the past, maybe I'm wrong on that. Clearly, if that's the only thing stopping, you know, just saying the medicine instead of vaccine or injection, 
that it's allowing him to put it out and people are hearing it, then, you know, good. Maybe that's right. But I've always had a hard no. I will never, ever, ever self-censor because, frankly, I believe that's what they want us to do. Right. Now, the point is, the reason I show his video is because, again, he has been doing this. Like, he, he it's not like he just stumbled on this yesterday and is getting, you know, all this coverage because he's talked about this years ago, right? Just like we were in 2021. So that's fantastic. You know, it shows you that he's not just kind of picking up on somebody else's work. He's been watching this, so good for him. But what I think is really interesting is how this is on, I mean, look, it's got 577,000 views from four days on YouTube. Now, we have covered, a lot of us, let's just, just remove T-Lab from the conversation. A lot of people have covered this exactly like he has. To the point, and you know that we've done the same. That's why I was going to start that way, where we're not stumbling into this going, everybody's taking the vaccines, dying. We're going, okay, well, let's look at it. Let's be objective. Many of these people, I agree. We're, I mean, you want to take a look at a lot of the died suddenly stuff, you'll find the same thing. A lot of them aren't accurate. A lot of it's being hyperbolic. And I think that's why that's doing it. So it then gets dismissed by people, even though it's a real story. That's a real tactic that's used today. And a lot of people doing that inadvertently don't even know that they're doing it or being led to do it. They're just sloppy with their work and people pay them to do it. It's how it works. But the point is that, like us and a lot of others, we were careful. Some of them, yes, had pre-existing conditions. But even then still, as McCullough and plenty of others pointed out, that's even more important to look at because it exacerbated something they already had a problem with. But on top of that, they, a lot of it was inconclusive. We said the same thing. Well, we can't know for sure. What we do know is definitely got the injection in some other cases and then definitely had a heart attack after taking the injection. That's undeniable. And a lot of that crowd freaked out just about that. It's like, what are you disputing? They got the injection, right? Yes. Had a heart attack, right? Yes. So you just don't like the, the feeling that we might be insinuating and see that's the problem. Now, anyway, the point is, why is YouTube allowing this to be covered? I think it's an interesting thing to ask. I don't have an answer for it. But what I know is that this is something that was most important. That's why, again, I, I want to use his video because, yes, he was doing it, too, to point out that this was happening a long time ago. You could prove this, as you know, we were doing in 2021. And I mean prove. Uh, definitively prove, not every one of them because of it, but that we can see statistically the same arguments they used for COVID-19, anything else that the compared to previous years, we see, and even to this moment, well, now it's getting kind of muddied and conflated with all sorts of other things, paralysis and Guillain-Barre and, you know, all these different things that they're kind of spreading out, which all seem to kind of accumulate in the same direction of, you know, heart, heart problem collapsing, you know, with just different reasonings or being caused by the things, climate change. The point, though, is that immediately following this, 2021, 2022, we saw an explosion, and we still are, of athletes collapsing on the field, of commentators collapsing in front of you, of children collapsing during sports. And I proved that the numbers, not just vaccine, just remove the vaccine from the conversation, that simply the numbers of athletes collapsing were exponentially more than we've ever seen. I mean, shockingly more. And I used a FIFA study to do that. I used an NIH study that went over a six-year period. And these are the, I'm showing you the articles if you want to read through these or watch it. It's all, all the, show, the notes are down here. You can check it all for yourself. The NIH study and the FIFA study over a six and I think a five or no, 10-year period showed you the numbers. And this was just adults in sports, not even including all the children and all the commentators. And that was, I mean, I forget what it was, something like 10, 15 times the amount we were going to see in a normal year period. And nobody cared. Other than you and people watching the show and people that did, but in the corporate media and a lot of big nobody talked about this. I love, I give credit to, uh, oh, I can't, I'm blanking on the, uh, 
was it was it Milk Bar TV? And I'm forgetting which group which group it was. But another one of their, our our friends out there was really covering this extensively and really broke this out. Well, Wilderness, well, it was Will, uh, Jay Wilderness. That's what it was. I'm glad I remembered it because he did a really good job on this early. Here is another one, 2021 November, the pandemic illusion and the ongoing cover-up of collapsing athlete, myocarditis, sudden cardiac arrest. And another one, the ending the collapsing athlete debate. All of these are wildly definitive. Here's one where Brock cut it up, and this has got 9,000 views on BitChute, COVID injections, collapsing athletes. That was uh, January 9th, 2023, because we just ended up following up way later. Both of us did. Here's one, same thing. This one's got 20,000 views on BitChute. You know, so it's really interesting. And here's just a couple of new ones. As Ozzy's been really pointing this out lately. How often does this happen? Two professional soccer players from the same club forced to retire. 22, 25. Kids in their 20s or adolescents or whatever you want to call adults in their 20s. In the last six months due to heart conditions. Retiring when you're 25 and we don't care about that? I mean, come on, guys. It's just, it's, it's painful what people are dismissing right now. And they just pointed this one out. Blood clots. Discovered in the heart of an American singing songwriter. So my point is to ask why we think this is allowed now. Is it because it's a release valve and that we, we've won essentially? And so they want us to accept a watered down version of it. Well, we think we know like the point is this, this should have been stopped immediately. Anyway, I'm taking too long on this because I do think this is a very important story, but the problem is same with, I made the other, the point I made the other day with East Palestine or even COVID for that matter. In my mind, and I believe we can all agree, these things are proven. It's not even up for debate that we can have the evidence clearly shows that these things are are hurting people, right? So what's interesting to me is that I find it hard to, I want to move on to another story. I want to continue to talk about what's going on in other stories that develop and be ahead of those stories. But it doesn't mean I still don't realize how important these are. But it's it's just frustrating because these things should already be done. Right. So I want I don't want people to forget about what that is, because it's still happening. Children are still being hurt by this as we speak. Very interesting. Now, going forward. I want to start with something that just happened that I saw first from uh, Chief Nerd on Twitter. Now, this is a really important. Development, but I want to be really, really careful with this and stress, I guess, just right out of the gate who we're talking about here. This is something that Whitney, as you know, as always, by the way, just saw a you know, really, really adorable video of her son she sent me today. And just he's doing well. He's doing well. So you just hope you guys know that, you know, send your love, your prayers, your your energy to her because she needs it, both of them and her son. But 2020, she wrote this. Head of the Hydra, the rise of Robert Cadlick. And this is actually part of the larger series called Engineering Contagion, Amerithrax. And this is the, I think, part three. The point is this guy is the establishment in the sense of the bio direction, the, the bio warfare direction. So it's really concerning to me that this guy just happens to be the person who steps up and exposes that essentially, I guess, that the vaccine direction was what caused this. Now, that's something that we've all been entertaining, right? That the vaccine were, or rather the, I guess, the, the gene therapy research is what led to this happening. Now, the real question, though, is whether or not one that's true secondarily is whether or not this is an effort to cover up deliberate action, right? Because ultimately it still says, well, it was an accident. Yeah. We were doing, you know, gain of function and we kind of lied about that, but it wasn't deliberate. Like eventually if they really have to get away from this, they could try to admit this, what it feels like a bit that, well, you know, you caught us in a lie. We were just trying to cover our asses a bit in regard to the NIH 
but you know, we were doing what was best for you. We did what we thought was right. And it got out, you know, and it got out, well, you know, but China was involved too, or, you know, and that ends up kind of spreading this out to the point to where, you know, they lied, but they weren't criminal necessarily. They were just trying to see, that's how this ends up going. But I think we need to be very clear about it at this point. There is undeniable evidence of not just knowingly doing something that would injure people with an ongoing, continuing to cover it up to this very moment. Like, that's why I've said within after a year, probably, I mean, the origin will always be important. Whether it was a you know entire fake, right? Denny Rancourt's research was entirely manufactured with other information. Whether it was a you know an injection that caused all of it. Whether it was a low flu, you know, all these different possibilities. They don't. It matters. But what I think it immediately became the most important focus was the vaccine injuries and the ongoing cover up. Right? Doesn't that take the center stage at this point? Because what they're doing, like the, the origin, was the justification for the weapon that was used. Because these, let's not misunderstand this injection. This thing is a deadly, what you can call it a weapon, you can call it an injection, it doesn't matter. This, I mean, what is something that only seems to hurt people? Sounds like a weapon to me. Whether it was intended that way, you could decide for yourself, right? But that seems to be the bigger focus. So now if we're kind of circling back and going, well, you know, this was, you know, the vaccine research caused it, it seems to be setting the table in a way to say not that we need to stop doing this, but we just need to fix it. Right. We just need to be better at this. And it was only because we were trying to focus on other things or because China was involved that this ultimately fell apart. So that's just overview how I feel this going. So here's what it says. This was written two days ago. America's top infectious diseases, diseases advisor. That's weird. Anthony Fauci deliberately decided to downplay suspicions from scientists. Now, this is something that I think we all know. And I think they know that we all know this. Because of the information that's come out in Congress in, in, li- in live session, as well as the many different things that have been exposed, the emails about the reality that these people were knowingly going back and forth and saying, well, you know, let's just let's you can clearly see in the emails themselves that they wanted to downplay the reality or rather the thought that it came from the lab. So that's clear. So if they know we all know that this is what the soft reveal kind of act looks like. Well, they think to themselves, well, damn it, they all know. So let's act like we're breaking that story, but then bury it in something else. We really need to think beyond, just understand how this manipulation is always played historically, right? The release valve concept, the way that they kind of keep us, the two-party paradigm always keeps us locked into the reveal and circling back into keeping us in, you know, who's going to vote for next and what's most important in the wedge issues as opposed to the bigger story, right? So this goes forward to say, And it basically downplays suspicions from scientists that COVID-19 came from a laboratory to protect his reputation and deflect from the risky coronavirus research his agency had funded. According to his boss, former, uh, one of the most senior U.S. officials during the pandemic, in an exclusive interview, Robert Cadleck, former assistant secretary for preparedness and response, a position that he literally created and then later filled, which he says was just coincidence, at the Department of Health, told the Weekend Australian. Right, because that makes sense, right? That the first interview, an exclusive by somebody a, from a, a former U.S. official who's talking about an exclusive about this story goes to an Australian paper. Does that seem interesting? That he, Dr. Fauci, and National Institutes of Health D- Director Francis Collins privately discussed how to turn down the temperature. And this is what's interesting on accusations against China in the early days of the pandemic while they were trying to encourage Beijing to cooperate and share a sample of the virus. Well, it's an interesting way to frame that, right? Because this is what I keep thinking is so interesting. If we can prove, which we can, 
that there was not just like a, a small part that played here, but that equal overlap to all of this, the funding of the research, the building of the lab, the, the personnel conducting it, EcoHealth Alliance, North Carolina University. I mean, quite frankly, other than Wuhan, this is a U.S. operation. So it's interesting that this seems to be constantly about, well, we want to turn down the accusations against China, which that is part of it. But let's be clear, both from Cadillac and Fauci, it's turning down the temperature on accusations against China that will lead back to us. That's what that is. We, and that's the part that gets left out by, I guess, in this case, the right narrative that's only bad guy China and only Fauci, not Trump or, you know, maybe Biden, though. Like, it's just it's it's, oh, it's in choosing to leave out information so it fits a certain narrative. The point is that you cannot blame China on this without including the Trump administration, the Obama administration, and the Biden administration even further. You just can't because they're equally involved. Fauci was not making independent decisions. In some cases, we can prove that you're able to do that. You do have unilateral action from his position. But the point is, a lot of this stuff was ultimately checked off by the HHS and bleeding back to the administration. That's the reality. Now, it says, but the senior U.S. health official... Oh, and then the sample of the virus. I'm going to make a point about that in a second. That's an interesting reveal in this article. The senior U.S. health official who worked for George W. Bush and Donald Trump went on to lead America's efforts to develop a COVID-19 injection. So this is, said Dr. Fauci mostly kept his knowledge of virologist concerns about a lab leak to himself. All right, so he lied, right? He, he lied for whatever reason. That's something we should all accept. The Weekend Australian revealed in 2021 that the National Institute of Health and other U.S. agencies funded 65 scientific projects at the Wuhan Institute of Virology over the past decade, many involving risky research on bat coronaviruses. Right. This is not this is public information. And as I, ca- I keep pointing out, which I, I feel like nobody seems to point out when they shut down, when Donald Trump stood up and said, no, Wuhan bad and pulled the funding for that, they and they know this did not shut down like five other projects in other labs currently in china that we're doing the same research i made this point right when this happened i used the u.s document that showed there's here's all the four other labs doing similar research so it just see this was about playing on the ignorance of the average person they wanted to go yay trump shut it down well no he just made he he stopped the one that we're all staring at because that's clearly and, and then we all thought it was you guys all thought it was over now under the research was the proximate cause. It says, I think Tony Fauci was trying to protect his institution and his own reputation from the possibility that his agency was funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers who, beyond the scope of the grants received from the NIH, may have been working on People's Liberation Army research researchers on defense coronavirus vaccines. It's a lot of ifs, ands, and, and hypotheticals there, but of course that's possible. Could the Chinese researchers been also, I mean, I can almost guarantee you they were working in conjunction with their government. Like, think about the odd statement to say that we're working at a government lab, right? And the NIH is there, which means that the U.S. government is present. So you also have Chinese personnel who represent the Chinese government. I mean, it just seems like an odd thing to make it sound like this. This is the reality. These were governments funding the operation of -of gain-of-function research for any number of reasons. Right. I mean, it just seems so transparent to me. But what I think was interesting is that Cadillac here. Is basically saying that Fauci's trying to kind of hide cover his reputation. And hide the possibility that they were funding this, that's an it. I mean, that's not even up for debate. It's very strange. Like this, everything about this for me doesn't sit right. You know, we can always hope for the best and hope that Cadillac just decides to, you know, tell the truth. But that doesn't seem 
historically accurate for him, and this doesn't even feel like the entire truth, but it says, quote, I think it's evident from his later released emails obtained by FOIA requests that he had more sense of what his institute had funded at that moment. This was a reputational risk to him and his institute, and certainly he probably sided, that's interesting, and certainly he probably sided with the international scientists that believed that false or unsubstantiated accusations could have a chilling effect on scientific collaboration between the Western world and China, which is completely in line with everything else they do. Well, don't tell the truth about this injection, that'll cause vaccine hesitancy. Like, yeah, that's exactly the same thing, right? Don't, I mean, there's a hundred examples you could point out. Dr. Kadlec, in his first ever media interview, so first ever, interesting timing. You know how long he's been doing this? And then goes to, Australian papers. It doesn't make sense to me. He says, we think vaccine research resulted in the pandemic. I don't know who he means by we, but he says that vaccine research was the proximate cause. Isn't it interesting that, I mean, this, this is the same point a second ago. We think this resulted in the pandemic. The vaccine research was the proximate cause. That's, I mean, maybe I guess you could differentiate between that leading to the pandemic versus no, I mean, it's the same statement. So one's we think, and one is for sure. That's an odd thing. It's in one sentence. But he's saying, second part of the sentence, that it's the proximate cause. So the, the research they conducted led to what we're dealing with. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see who, how this gets covered in the corporate media. It's been two days. I'm not seeing it covered by CNN and Fox News. It says, in an extraordinary admission, Dr. Cadlec said they decided to try to encourage a group of leading international scientists to calm down speculation on the origins of the virus. The scientists held a phone call, as we know, on February 1st, 2020, in which they discussed concerns that the SARS-CoV-2 looked like it may have been genetically engineered, which they shut down. As both Mr. Bush's biodefense advisor and Trump's assistant health secretary for preparedness, Dr. Cadlec, has decades of experience in fighting public health crises, he created Operation Warp Speed. Let's not forget that. Now, Monsef Salawi stepped up, but, he, but this was created by Kladlek, Trump, and the entire administration. You know, the thing that they're still using that's hurting everybody. So it's I, right now I see a lot of this momentum from this very article being, you know, talking about the right and saying that this was like, I just don't know how you decouple these things. If we know that Trump, Kadlek, and, you know, Kadlek, who is framing himself as the kind of whistleblower hero in this, we're behind the creation of the entire project that is right now, I mean, if possibly one of the biggest human catastrophes of all time. How do we decouple that? The plan to accelerate the development of COVID-19 vaccine and is credited for leading the push to vaccinate Americans. <laughs> right, exactly. In 2018, he warned Congress the U.S. was ill-prepared for a pandemic, right? That's exactly Fauci, all the rest of them. We see a pandemic coming. He is part of this problem. He is this problem. It says Dr. Cadlick's personal approach was to ask the National Academy of Sciences in late January 2020 to formally examine the sequence of SARS-CoV-2 to understand its origin. But publicly, he felt it was important, Cadlick, to, to achieve cooperation from China from a public health perspective. So, uh, so earlier paragraphs, he's kind of saying, explaining why he thinks Fauci did what he did. But here he then goes on to basically say he agrees to an to a, to extent. Beijing had not yet shared a sample of the virus critical for developing an effective vaccine. Well, we keep showing you that, right? We keep showing you that the reality from Moderna makes it very clear that on January 11th, the Chinese government shared this sequence on their, their platform. Two days later, mRNA1273 was already done, the sequence. 
you remember that they've admitted themselves they never isolated it, right? So I just think people need to remember that if they never needed the sequence, because they didn't, if they already had it done, and it's the same one they've been using ever since, why would why would do they ever need it? And this is the bigger point about the platform. It was never about the sequence. It was about, or never about the actual physical concept. It was about genetic sequence on a computer. Here's the CDC of China admitting they didn't have it when they sent this. And why has the data not been shared? No, the genes that isolated the virus. That's the issue. It was MSNBC, the Chinese CDC, admitting that they did not isolate the virus when they sent that. Our people argue they did after that, which seems irrelevant to this point. But I still argue nothing as coach postulates, but that's a whole other conversation. The bottom line is if they sent this, they didn't isolate it. And, and there's also Moderna on the record at the, at the symposium, I think it was the WEF, saying they never had it. To this day, they've never had physical virus in their hands. It's always been the sequence. And they go, they all laugh and go, good thing we got it right. <laughs> Clearly. So think about what that means. Right. So if we're if he's now admitting that even at this very point, they still have never shared that. What? I mean, it's one. You do get some sense of what the right would be saying here is that that seems like China was, you know, at least a fault or part of this or did that. But this but then why isn't the Trump administration or the Biden administration making a point about that? They've never admitted that, essentially. That seems like complicit complicity to me. It says, we are trying to prevent people from saying that this is a bioweapon when we didn't really know. That's Cadillac saying this. That was my intent, Cadillac says. It was Dr. Fauci's idea to see if he could get international scientists to examine the origins in a similar fashion. The object was to prevent speculation and turn the temperature down. So what's interesting is, as much as he seems to be admitting in his opinion that the vaccine research was why this happened, he's admitting that he played a part in downplaying the very discussion. It's the same reason because they feel like this hurts the concept of science. I find that pretty interesting. The forlorn hero, apparently. The, the phone call was at the in de, in de, instigation of Dr. Fauci after he spoke with scientist Christian Anderson, who expressed concern that it may be genetically engineered because of its unusual features. In an email, Dr. Anderson said, as you remember, some of the features potentially look engineered, and several leading virologists all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolu evolutionary theory. And that, you know, and Dr. Cadlick said Dr. Fauci kept these suspicions privately expressed by leading virologists that the virus had been engineered in a laboratory mostly to himself. Think about how wildly dishonest that is. Now, why? I find it hard to believe. It's just personal opinion. There's something bigger here, guys. And Cadlick seems to be clearly involved. The full extent of these suspicions is now laid bare in emails subpoenaed by U.S. Congress and published in recent weeks. In those emails, some scientists discussed the, excuse the curse for people, earmuffs, the shit show, that would eventually eventuate if anyone serious accused China of even accidentally starting the pandemic. So they're basically saying that they kept this under wraps because it would eventually hurt, you know, create more vaccine hesitancy or create more xenophobia, you know, all the things they keep talking about. They also discussed the impact such as accusation would have on such an accusation would have on scientific research and international relations. Right. So that the, the truth is secondary to their necessity. That's exactly what he's saying. And that never stops. Always there. But publicly, both of them, they insisted the possibility of an inadvertent laboratory leak was a conspiracy and authored a paper published in Nature, Nature Medicine. 
that argued SARS-CoV-2 was almost certainly a natural virus. They lied, guys. They lied. Now, let's be clear. I'm not saying that means we know for sure. I have my opinions. I think the evidence is pretty clear. But what we're saying is from their perspective, in their immediate conversation, most of them did think that it was most likely not natural. And then they got cowed into doing saying that. That's interesting. Dr. Cadlick acknowledges the power of that paper titled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2 as becoming the official word that a laboratory leak was a conspiracy theory. Now, this is a really important point here. What he's, ex- what he's explore- highlighting is that this is how this ultimately works. So first of all, based on a complete fabrication, or rather just pressuring them to say the opposite of what they think, a paper comes out, and then what happens? Well, every single media personality who pretends they know what they're talking about, who pretends they've done their research, blindly states that reality, and then rapidly defends it until there's right now, in fact. And they were wrong. Do they even care? Their paper did result in casting the die for what would then be the international scientific response going forward. Okay, so was it the international scientific response? Well, no, obviously not. Now, and again, that's independent from what it actually, the truth actually is. The point is, their response at the time was, we think this is not natural. And they did it. They said the opposite. So then going forward, despite what they currently thought, the international scientific response was that it, it's a conspiracy theory, and we all know that. And if you think otherwise, you're crazy. But that wasn't what everybody thought. Learn, let's see the lesson here, guys. Everything we're being told about all scientists believe climate change is real or whatever. It's, it, it doesn't mean that we know it's not true, but it's it just as likely as anything else that it's just something like this, that they've decided that that's what needs to be the case. So then they drive it to happen and they deny anybody that says otherwise. I mean, it's just so starkly obvious. So they lied and became the, the talking point forever to this very point. And even as we prove this, you get these ridiculous talking heads of corporate media that will continue to say that because they're blind. Now, it says their initial opinion was likely shaded by their personal professional equities or their belief that what was going on in the U.S., statements by political leaders, could be problematic for world relations for China, but also their professional interest in science. I, quite frankly, think it's more about the fact that there was important, in their minds, research going on in China. And if this gets exposed, will they lose what they're doing? That's important. This, this is Frankenstein research. These people are leading and arguably what they, I mean, they want to see this through, right? So that's, that, that, I think that's the most likely. That's my opinion. It says, new emails and posts over the Slack messaging platform that have surfaced in recent weeks pinpointed the moment this group began steering world attention away from the Wuhan lab. Again, the right might tell you it's because, well, Fauci's working with China and Biden's covering for China, which is certainly possible. We shouldn't dismiss that. But it feels far more likely when you include all of the information that it's because the, the attention on Wuhan will lead back to all of them, to the U.S. government, to the intelligence apparatus, to France, to the U.K. That's the reality. That's how I see it anyway. It was not months or even weeks, but within days and hours of their realization that the virus may contain, quote, fingerprints, as they said in the emails, that connected it to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> The scientists are facing allegations that they embarked on a campaign of subterfuge that has rocked Washington. See, allegations, I mean, come on, guys. You have, guys. Not only do you have one of these leading individuals involved with the lie, admitting they lied, you've got their emails admitting they covered this up, and yet the Wall Street Journal still says allegations that they possibly embarked on. It's like, come on, 
that you want to talk about irritating objectivity. That's what it looks like even more than me, except they're never objective when it matters. They'll lie all the time and then be objective where it's important to be obviously not. I just think that's hilarious, right? But going forward, Dr. Cadlick has now spent a year and a half formally investigating the origins of the pandemic. Oh, great. This is one of those, you know, we've investigated ourselves and found ourselves not guilty moments. Putting together an A and B team to gather evidence for both a natural and laboratory origin respect, respectively. Now, why would we trust what he finds? Gain-of-function research was banned by the Obama administration. No, not really, but lifted during the Trump era. Now, it never stopped. So, see, it's things like this where you just can't take these papers seriously. You know how easy it is to prove, and it's been openly discussed even by corporate media, that the supposed 2014 ban, it kept going, even in the U.S., but mostly got outsourced to China. That's when that actually happened. So the idea that it was banned is laughable and lifted during Trump. I mean, it, it just never stopped. Dr. Cadlick says this was at the behest of the NIH. Francis Collins and Fauci both had a similar worldview, which was that, was that scientists know best and there should be few restrictions on research. Now, the point he's making, despite my point that it never stopped, is that Cad, uh, Fauci and Collins pressed to make it publicly okay to keep doing this, which that's a big point because yes, they were and still are pushing for EPPP research. Remember, they, they literally changed the name of gain of function mid-conversation and acted like, no, I don't even know what that is. We're doing EPPP. It's like, they, that's how stupid they really think people are and it shows you how desperate they are. The Wuhan Institute of Virology and Equal Health Alliance drew up a proposal for grant funding for coronavirus research, which internationally scientists now believe could be the blueprint of COVID-19, right? Now, there's a lot of people, <clears throat> both those that argue that COVID's not real or that even viruses aren't real, or that this is more of a, ma- a fabrication, would argue this is about trying to keep us in the mindset that this was, uh, you know, an accident at the, at the very least. And it's something that, you know, we that still, in fact, here's the bigger point that I get from people is this could just like, let's just say we take this face value. Fauci goes to jail, but they argue or prove with this that COVID is, in fact, real. And Fauci just screwed up. But now we need more injections because COVID is hurting people. See, ultimately, this seems to solidify that this is never going away. So there's a lot of ways you could read this. Again, I'm, you guys come to your own conclusions about it. But ultimately, this seems to be something very suspicious. That's what I feel. Dr. Cadlick chaired a committee to authorize whether gain-of-function could proceed. Cadlick, of course, who's... You know, anyway, says the proposal from the Wuhan Institute, of, Wuhan Institute was bouncing around U.S. government agencies in search of funding. But he claims it never went through his committee, which is really telling. It shows you the fallibility or vulnerability of the oversight system. See, that's my point. Does it show you a fallibility? Or does it show you blatant corruption? <laughs> you see, like, if you frame it always as sort of like, well, we just didn't do it right. And what does this usually amount to? Well, we need more funding, right? We need more power and more funding, and we'll do it right next time. Always how this goes. Dr. Fauci has denied his agency funded gain-of-function research, which is just such a bold-faced lie. But Dr. Cadlick said it wasn't true. So now, the, now this is an important part of this. Fauci is not going to be okay with this because Cadlick has weight in this conversation. He says, it's evident NIH-supported research that has the potential for, and it at least one case, in, a, in at least, that's a typo, I think, and in at least one case resulted in gain of function. So here's the, again, that, I would even argue, is a, uh, an intentional lie, right? Because you can prove 
because it literally even says gain of function in the studies that it wasn't only one and potential for, and at least that it was blatantly, repeatedly, and still going on. So when he makes that statement, as much as it's important to point out that he's saying, yes, Fauci did do it, which counter makes him a liar, he's also secondarily lying about the breadth of it. You get my point? Like, I know some people don't like this kind of concern because it's like, well, just take the win. That's kind of what we get from some people. But they've learned over the years how to play this. When you start seeing what they're doing and they give you a small win to hide the bigger one, right? So overall, we've got Robert Cadleck, of all people, claiming that this was vaccine research. That means your government's work, both in Wuhan and the U.S., is why people are suffering if you believe that they're suffering from something called COVID. And then on top of that, the vaccine work itself is also hurting people. So it really does open the door to the concept that this was designed not as a vaccine, but as a weapon. Something to think about. Thank you, Chief, Chief Nerd, for pointing this out. And interestingly enough, of all, uh, oh wait, how did I lose that? What's right here? RFK actually responded to this, saying the science was silenced in the name of the science in regard to that concept, which I just, you know, I love. Regardless of your thoughts on him, and I've made my criticisms very clear, this, I just like the statement. The science, was si- the science was silenced in the name of the science, right? Because that's really what happened. Now, please, please go back and read these. Go back and read all of Whitney's original work on T-Lab. It's outstanding. She, I mean, she even had a recent one that just came out. Um, go to the homepage and you can see it, which you guys will probably appreciate. But make sure you go through and read the entire series. But if you want to just make sure you understand Robert Cadillac, I think most important is the is number one, all roads lead to dark winter, April 1st, 2020. Like, it's funny. People right now are, are breaking, you know, dark winter. You know, it's like now. She was so far ahead of this. And then this one, head of the Hydra, the rise of Robert Cadillac. Here was her last one. It's called The Prince and the Spy. A T-Lab investigation has found that Eric Prince, the man behind Blackwater Mercenary Group, recently teamed up with, uh, you know, it's Israel Group, and it's the whole thing you can read for yourself. It's an important story. Now, keeping in mind Robert Cadillac in that conversation, right, and the idea of the origins, as even, even the idea of what these are doing, the, the collapsing athletes, right, and what that's doing. I mean, oh, I mean, he's actually, here's one I want to include, I forgot. Here we go. Right. So in the context of the weapon discussion, which that's the next segment we're going to get into, let's not forget of all people. This is uh, this is uh, uh, Ralph Barrick, North Carolina University of Chapel Hill, U.S. funded research on coronavirus induced myocarditis in rabbits. There's five or six different studies and the links are all right here for you to check out. So think about that. They literally in the 90s and forward. That's your gain of function overlap with the actual real world administration of coronavirus induced myocarditis. So they're giving things an injection that causes coronavirus, which then causes myocarditis. And how is that not quite literally what we're seeing take out, take place today? Right. So the question is, is that quite literally what we're talking about as a weapon? So we just talked about RNAi or RNA interference gene silencing vaccines and pesticides, both of which all stem back to Robert Langer's work. And that now it's currently being the, seen as partly the future for vaccines. Gene silencing injections. And I wrote their potential role in the COVID-19 illusion. It's a really interesting conversation that overlaps with the endocrine disrupting chemicals 
what these things are doing. Even some interesting things we've seen happening in Peru and the earlier story with India. Turns out that the argument was those were pesticides leaking into the water. Well, is this an overlap to the bigger conversation, right, with our mod RNA injections and the new future of RNAi? It's, I'm concerned about that. But watch the show if you want to understand more about that point. I want to get into what uh, Derek just wrote. The reason I point this out is because I feel this is connected. I feel all of this is it's a larger experiment about what they're trying to figure out here in regard to how this works in, you know, in gene editing, to make it very simple. We know that's the future of what a lot of these people are working on in regarding you know, patenting everything under the sun and creating life. I mean, it's on the surface. And until they can figure that out exactly, well, that's you know, partly what I think they're trying to do. <clears throat> but we recently talked about one of the central parts in all of this, which is the ethnically targeted concept, which is just really frustrating. And he, he does a great job in this article of breaking down why this gets so frustrating. Please read this. But this is something that is on the surface easy to prove. At the very least, that they're working in the direction of these things publicly. And maybe you could argue it's to, to find out what the other guy is doing, but it's not secret. So the interesting way this conversation got buried drown in the concept of anti-Semitism, which is usually how this works, it really does ex- kind of expose something here. But what this is really about is the, tr- is the, the tar- title rights, and interestingly, people misinterpreted the title. Don't be a title scammer, guys. Read if you understand what they're talking about. The truth within RFK Jr.'s statements about, quote, ethnically targeted weapons. Now realize, we know how this story went. I have my tweets right here about how people are grossly misrepresenting what he said. He, he said it's very clear, the clip's right there. He said that these things appear to be targeted towards certain ethnicities, but he then immediately says, well, we don't know if it's deliberate or not. It could just be a natural thing, but there, and, and there's been research from both Pfizer and different groups, as well as, I mean, all over the place, showing these things have ethnic focuses or more so affect certain ethnicities. Black people are more affected. We've been hearing this the whole time. So what's really interesting is this got so quickly shut down. And then the point about the weapons was then he follows up that statement and says, and we know that the U.S. and China are working on by ethnically focused weapons. They are. And yet this got buried in a conversation about how he's somehow anti-Semitic. And then he went on a week-long tour screaming about how he'll only fight for Israel, which kind of seems like the point. But here's what becomes so important in this conversation. It's one, that it seems that Israel, of all groups, seems to be championing this direction which then makes it all the more obvious why it seems that it was such a force to shut down this conversation. But on top of that, it's not just Israel, it's the United States and a lot of groups, but that this overlaps with the bigger conversation about the kind of things they're working on and how this can affect directly your, you know, whether it can ethnically focus you and, and kill you, but also ethnically focus and do other things, right? Because just a weapon, a, a bioweapon that just murders people of certain ethnicity, that's one thing, but it's getting a lot more nefarious today. Right, the kind of things that experimentation-wise, that if you could do something that would cause an effect, but you nobody would know it was used. Think about that kind of an experiment where all of a sudden you got this baffling thing that's happening. It's a mystery disease. Yeah, we keep hearing that, right? And is that something else associated with this? And as we get into the bioweapon direction of the ticks and everything else, that is part of how this has been developed. Going back to the Plum Islands, we'll get into in a minute. I think this all connects. So it says, on July 15th, the New York Post released a report titled, RFK Jr. says COVID may have been ethnically targeted to spare Jews. That's what the New York Post incorrectly said he was saying. Setting off a weeks-long controversy with accusations of anti-Semitism, threatening to derail the outsider campaign of RFK Jr. He was referring, of course, to a 2020 study peer-reviewed by the the Cleveland Clinic, which examined genetic factors 
which may determine susceptibility to COVID-19. It's very, very basic, very, very simple. I think it right here. I'm just calling out Brian Krasenstein here, who just clumsily says exactly what, the, you know, I said, does this guy even bother to do the most basic due diligence before he falls all over himself to promote the mainstream narrative? Here is the peer-reviewed study that says near exactly what RFK says. Very simple. And let's not forget, by the way, that he appears to be, he claims he was recorded without his knowledge at a meeting where they're there as themselves. It's not like a Project Veritas thing. This guy's there as the New York Post, and he films them secretly. Like, these people are just grade-A POSs. But the point, before we go forward, it says the New York Post also maligned Kennedy for stating that, quote, we do know, we do know that the Chinese are spreading, spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing ethnic bioweapons. And we are developing, as the U.S. government, ethnic bioweapons. He also said they, seemingly referring to the U.S. government, are collecting Russian DNA and Chinese DNA. So, quote, we can target people by race. Which, by the way, again, it's not hard to look up. In this case, Kennedy's crime is to speak an uncomfortable truth. Governments around the world, including the United States, have certainly studied the potential for genetically targeted bioweapons. Or, again, my point from before, like you could argue the any number of these things, a genetically targeted anything experiment. Unfortunately, the conversation around bioweapons that could be targeted based on race or genetic factors <clears throat> has been lost in the accusations of anti-Semitism, which is likely the entire point. Like, think, think, excuse me, God, something in my throat. <clears throat> think um, Corbyn in, in the UK, right? Like the labor conversation, like the way you can shut down entire conversations with clumsy, baseless arguments of anti-Semitism. You don't need to agree with Kennedy's statements or campaign to understand that there are very real concerns relating to DNA-targeted weapons. Or how about going back to that second that point, you can use anti-Semitism of people that maybe deserve that accusation to cover up real things they're saying. You see the point? Why does the accusation that this guy's racist have anything to do with things that are being presented, whether they're provable? Because emotion, that's why. Because they know they can manipulate people using outrage and emotion. It's classic. Now, it says, in 1970, Carl Larson, a licensed physician who was also the head of the Department of Human Genetics at the University of London, Sweden, wrote an article titled Ethnic Weapons, which examined the possibility of facilitating the targeting of specific ethnic groups with covert weapons. You know, totally a fake story, right? In the essay, Larson shares disturbing revelations relating to chemical and ethnicity-focused weapons. Chemical, too. Including the suggestion that, quote, friendly forces could use incapacitants, incapacitates people, in, in entangled situations to give friend and foe a short period of enforced rest to sort them out. That's terrifying. Kind of feels like a weird overlap to the World Economic Forum technocratic future, right? Where we can, you know, brain waves and we can just, you know, put a, a shock collar on you and fall asleep. Like it's weirdly, it feels like a weird overlap. But it says he also says using psychochemicals and gentle persuasion civilians in enemy cities might be re-educated. Gee, think about that. That's like, the, like China and the re-education camps. Like this. He also says using these and gentle persuasion civilians in enemy cities might be re-educated. Larson makes it perfectly clear that genetic differences have made what he calls ethnic weapons possible. Quote, innate differences in vulnerability to chemical agents between different populations have led to the possible development of ethnic weapons, he writes. Larson also discusses the role enzymes play. This is really important to me in impacting potential enemies under an image of a soldier of soldiers exiting a helicopter. Larson writes, quote, enzyme inhibitors could turn these troops into a state of paralysis. 
Now, the enzyme point is really important. As we're going to get to in a minute, people presenting the concept of, you know, creating an enzyme that makes you no longer want to eat meat. All you got to do is give someone an injection and suddenly we save the climate, climate problems over, right? That's a real thing. And I'll get to that in a second. What's interesting is that we're so focused on all these other topics that like the enzyme discussion or how these things might be used. Is very concerning. Now, in one case, we're talking about things that can create like an antibody against certain things like nicotine, for example. But an enzyme thing is very different. And I'm, I would, I'm going to look more into it. And if I would, I, what I believe is that this concept would be near impossible to find out, right? Like, how would you prove something like this? Especially if it's, if it's something that's administered, you know, inside of a different shot, right? That you're, the troops are being given a shot for the flu or something like this. Just, just a thought. And if you're out there shaking your head like that would never happen, then you're a child because it's obviously possible. But it says Larson says that scientists had previously understood the enzymatic process for RNA production. Let that sink in. But now understand how to regulate the initiation and specificity of enzyme production. I mean, guys, remember, this is this is in the 70s. He also noted that they understand not only how to initiate enzyme production, but how to inhibit it. He, he concludes, thus the functions of life lie bare to attack. 1970. Can you only imagine what they're doing now? Despite not being a member of the military, Larson's essay was taken seriously enough to be published in the Military Review, the journal of none other than the U.S. Army. You know, from Sweden. <laughs> Read the room. Read the writing on the wall, but it says ethnobomb, next section. In November 1998, the Sunday Times published a controversial report alleging that Israel is working on a biological weapon that would harm Arabs, but not Jews. It's here, you can read it for yourself. It's right here. It's, and the point is, this stuff is basically an open secret. And then it says the report was sourced from an anonymous source within the Israeli military and Western intelligence. The report claimed that Israeli scientists were developing an ethnobomb which would identify distinctive genes carried by some Arabs and then target them with a genetically modified bacterium or virus. They, the stated intention was to use these genetically modified organisms to alter DNA within the living host cells. Sounds interestingly familiar to what we're dealing with today. Also, I think it's important to point out, I, and this is just a, th a thought, that remember during this conversation when there was stuff happening, all of a sudden there was this weird anomaly that exploded in Italy and Iran. Remember that? And everybody didn't want to consider the genetic connection between Iran and Italy, which we proved. So the question became, when they go, where the main case they traced it back to it just exploded from the middle of the country and nobody could prove where it came from. Think about, that doesn't make sense. There could be an explanation. But we need to ask, and this is what I theorized, remember, because we're talking about Iran here, and Israel being dead focused on Iran, of, it was, that's where they show it started, that it could have been something that was released during all of this, maybe even knowing that the other thing was something they were involved in, just to test this out over here, knowing that it would get swept away under the COVID conversation. Something to consider. The Times, also, Times report also references a confidential Pentagon report from 1997, which warned that, quote, biological agents could be genetically engineered to produce new lethal weapons. Right, so the Pentagon can report that in 97, but it's a fake story today. Right, that's usually how this goes. Right, it works works on it, talks about it, covers it, tests it, and then it's a fake story, right? Or it becomes something that they, you know, go breaking news, new thing for you that they've been working for twenty years on that they've been used all over the place, right? That's we are always seeing this, 
right? So as we see them admit this, and today it's a fake story, think about what that means. Former U.S. Secretary of Defense William Cohen also warned about nations developing, quote, certain types of pathogens that would be ethnic-specific. The Times report claims a, quote, senior Western intelligence source confirmed that Cohen was speaking of Israel. It's not hard to find this. Not long after the publication of the Times report and subsequent debate, the British Medical Association began warning of the dangers posed by ethnic weapons. In a third titled report titled Biotechnology, Weapons, and Humanity. Oh, wait, I, had it, I thought I had it right here. There it is. Hold on. Did I close those? I guess I closed them. Oh, no. Here it is. Sorry. Biotechnology, weapons, and humanity. You guys can read these for yourselves. As you know, we don't just say things and don't cite them, or at least unless I, you know, sometimes I accidentally do that. <laughs> Point, though, is I do my best to include everything so you guys can research it, not just take my word for it, as so many other platforms do. He says, the BMA said it could no longer ignore the reports that such weapons were currently being developed. Weapons could theoretically, this is their quote, theoretically be developed, which affect particular versions of genes clustered in specific ethnic or family groups. Additionally, the Times mentioned that during South Africa, the apartheid South Africa at that time, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it was revealed that biological studies were conducted by South African scientists during apartheid. Right? Where else is there an apartheid system right now? Oh, that's right, Israel, Gaza, and you know, Palestine in general. Specifically, the Times mentions Dr. Dan Goosen, head of a South African chemical and biological warfare plant, who said that his team was ordered in, 19, in the 1980s to develop a pigmentation weapon to target only black people. Goosen's team theorized spreading disease in beer, maize, corn, or vaccinations. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, this is you could this is verifiable. Now, of course, you could pretend that it never happened today, but think about how ridiculous it is to dismiss out of hand the concept that vaccinations could be used to do something like this, whether in the West or not, while you have on the record a group in South Africa at the behest of, you'll find out in a second, Israel Israel's government to do this, and then not even consider whether it could be possibly happening today. In the Times article also mentions another report from, for, the, from Foreign Report, a publication of Jane's, which focuses on security and defense intelligence. The Foreign Report piece allegedly claims South African sources and Israeli scientists were using South African research in their efforts to develop an ethnic bullet against Arabs. Unfortunately, we have been unable to locate an archived version of this article. Big surprise. Now, that's aside. I don't think it's even up for debate that Israel's government was aggressively involved with South African apartheid, right? So if you know that South Africa is working at the time on ethnic weapons and you can prove that Israel was, and you can, directly looking at that focus and all the statements they have about everything, the point is it's very interesting to see the conversation of Israel funding research in South Africa to use vaccinations to do this, right? And the whole point is, as we're talking about in this article, guys, in my oh, the tweet I have right here, is that what, what was the main point of the study? Well, it turns out that it was just in specifically, oh, wait, I think got right here, there it is, talking about Amish and Ashkenazi Jews that had zero, that said that they do not appear to carry such variants that increase their risk to this. Out of all of them. Now, it could just be coincidence. I've never claimed otherwise. But what's interesting to me is that you can prove historically that this has been something that's been worked on and in this case in regard to south africa focusing directly on using vaccines to deliver such a thing 
Now it says plans for epidemics to be sown in black communities with cigarettes and letters laced with anthrax. Look at all these overlaps. The program he directed was known as Project Coast and is alleged to have lasted from 1981 all the way till 1993. Quote, no records are available to confirm that the biological agents that were taking place in South Africa have ever, ever been destroyed. The entire web of players involved in the South African program, including the CIA, is worthy of further investigation. Yeah, you don't say. How exactly could the development of a genetically targeted weapon affect you and your family? Well, he's, however, he says, however, he says the COVID-19 panic and the constant demands to get tested are likely the number one way most people have become entangled with this developing field, you know, because your DNA was taken. He talks about the Human Genome Project and CRISPR. All these things are scooping up everything they possibly can. I don't even think we've begun to understand what that means. In 2021, Derek reported that a Chinese company with connections to the Gates Foundation was involved in COVID-19 testing. Remember this? It's called BGI. It's a great article. It's really actually wildly relevant to what's going on right now. Bill Gates, China, 23andMe, and your DNA, including the sister of Wajikiir, saying uh, um, he reported on the Chinese company with connections to Gates and involved in COVID-19 testing and posed a potential threat to American privacy. Now, you could argue that was China surreptitiously doing so, or it could be a conjunction with your government actively working in this direction. We have to start thinking bigger than the party paradigm perspectives, guys. It's not only Russia or only China. We need to realize how binary and childish this perspective is. But it says, and I'm not saying it means untrue. It could be true. But the reality that we only look at what the one side or the other says, we need to stand back and see your government potentially culpable for all that's happening, not only one side of it. But it says particularly the medical and health data of those who have been tested for COVID-19. That's a risk to this company. Chinese company, VGI Group, the biggest biotech firm in the world, offered to build COVID labs in at least six U.S. states. And U.S. intelligence officials issued warnings not to share health data with BGI. Interesting overlap, by the way, which I'm still looking into. There's that story that's all the big rage in a lot of certain platforms about the lab that was discovered in the United States, very shoddy lab working on bio stuff that is arguably connected to Chinese individuals. Actually, I don't think that's arguable. I think there's Chinese individuals who are responsible, but that then becomes conflated with it is the Chinese government, which I have no doubt that's possible. But again, when you don't have the evidence that it is for sure, It could be any number of things. It could be the Chinese government doing this lab. It could be the U.S. government working with them to do it here since we're all focusing on China right now. Or, I mean, you see, my point is it becomes a partisan argument to go what we think is the truth because that's what I want. Now, I'll follow up on that. It becomes even more more relevant. But right now there's this lab everyone's talking about that that seems to be kind of running right narrative is that it's an example of China being responsible for everything. Maybe. Right. That's all we know is there's this lab and there's Chinese people that ran it. And it's on the my point was, if you read the article that somebody ran this place and it's supposed to be vacant, there was like 36 freezers. So somebody was aware that was going on. There was somebody from an authority position that covered this up and nobody seems to be focusing on that. Very weird to me. For me, I think it's more likely that the U.S. government's involved in some way, but just as likely not. But my point is, if we have evidence that Gates working with this company in 2021 open six labs in the U.S., it's like, it just seems like an, a weird choice to only focus on parts of the story, right? But it says, meanwhile, journalist Natalie Winter of National Pulse uncovered documentation of a relationship between the Bill Gates 
Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and BGI going back a decade. Winter found a memorandum of understanding between the Gates Foundation and BGI to, quote, form a collaboration on global health and agriculture development with the goal of achieving common objectives in health and agriculture development. That's crazy with what we're seeing today. And let's not be, let's be clear. This is Gates is is acutely involved with the U.S. government and all the things that they're doing. You think they don't know about this? The collaboration deals with developments in human, plant, and animal genomics, the study of DNA. Since March 2020, BGI has sold millions of their COVID tests around the world, including in the United States, which the, gov- the U.S. government is clearly aware of. That's even going back to Trump's administration. BGI is also well known for creating a clone pig in 2010. I often point this out. The sheep that we heard about forever ago. Are we really going to pretend that they did this in 2010 and they just never did anything since then? When these stories go quiet, that's scary. But he talks about Ancestry and 23andMe. These things were scooping up all the DNA from everybody they could. In January 2021, 60 Minutes did a report. Ann Wojcicki, CEO of 23andMe, sister of the former CEO of YouTube, simultaneously they ran these things, answered questions regarding her company's use of the data that they were collecting at the time, and still are, I think. While Ann Wojcicki says that her company was empowered, has empowered individuals with this opportunity to come together to crowdsource research, which I, I've, I've heard many examples that the information they were given wasn't even accurate. She doesn't shy away from acknowledging that her company plans to use the information to develop drugs. It's right on the surface. Quote, and I absolutely stand behind. We are going to develop drugs using your personal genetic data. So that everybody is actually benefiting from the human genome, or so they're selling you, or so they are. So absolutely, the data is valuable. This is and look my opinion, but I would willing I would bet you my life that that's being directly shared with the military, with the agencies, the government, directly. I I would not I would bet my life on that, but that's my opinion. While the twenty three and Me model appears to be focused on selling medicine based on genetics. It's clear that the Chinese, American, and Israeli governments likely also have their own military interest in this data, right? So even if let's just say that a medicine direction is altruistic, that information is still being gathered and used in directions that aren't about medicine. This means medicines and weapons based on your specific genetic traits could be out there or likely very soon coming your way. While the 23andMe model appears to be focused on selling medicines based on genetics, or excuse me, wrong part, and if you thought you escaped this DNA collection by avoiding 23andMe, or COVID tests for that matter, Derek makes an excellent point here that I haven't thought about in a while. It was a big focus for a minute, and that is the fact that police have already been given the authority to take your DNA, whether or not you're even charged with a crime, just suspicion, right? So you get arrested for some suspicion, they could take your DNA right there. And even if it turns out you were never guilty, they have your DNA forever. And what he goes on to write in this, which is crazy, I'll just read it. It says, when a law enforcement entity collects DNA sample, the government indefinitely retains that person's full genetic makeup. There is no statute requiring the government to discard that sample. As genetic researchers discover new ways to use that sample, the DNA, the potential for misuse by government increases and threatens individual privacy. I mean, that's my point. We don't even understand what this fully means yet terrifying right so let's circle back to the the absurd way people covered this conversation rfk is an anti-semite as he's pointing out clearly something that they really don't want you thinking about that's pretty scary now 
Here are a few examples. 2024, 20, June 24th, 2022. Ever heard about bioweapons that use DNA to kill specific people? Or are they a reality? Call to restrict sharing of genomic data over fears of DNA-targeted weapons. 2021. Future bio-war weapons could kill people with specific DNA. 2019. Could you make a genetically targeted weapon? 2021. Oh, excuse me. 2004. You could try, it says, but probably wouldn't want to be around when you released it. It says the prospect that rogue scientists could develop bioweapons designed to target certain ethnic groups based on their genetic differences was raised this week in a report by the BMA, which we just showed you. You can read it for yourself. It goes on to say the report warns that construction of these weapons is now approaching reality. I mean, just think about this. In 2004, saying such genetic bombs could contain anthrax, bubonic plague, tailored to specific people, and yet it's being regarded at this moment as a ludicrous right-wing conspiracy theory. I mean, we are broken. This country has lost its sense of itself, man, and it's very clear, uh, rather, though it's lost in the paradigm, I should say, and then 2022, biological weapons could target DNA, food supply, two U.S. lawmakers say. Well, you can read this for yourself or rather watch the show if you'd like. Oh, wait, look at that. Shoot. Well, I'm going to follow up for the show. A lot of these older ones only had a YouTube embed. Uh, I, I, what I do is get the title and go back and search for it on Odyssey or BitChute and, and plug it in. I'll do that afterward. But the, the show in February 18th, 2020, again, showing you how far ahead we were on these stories, as usual, like the collapsing athlete story, the long and sordid history of U.S. government bioweapons research and testing on unwitting civilians. Yeah, it's not hard to prove, guys. They've admitted to this themselves over the years. So why we would pretend it's not happening now when plenty of people involved in those older research are still in positions of power is beyond me. But that point going forward, let's get into the idea of the ticks and what this might be what part this might be playing in the larger conversation. Kind of a a, a crux, a linchpin, or if you will, between the COVID conversation, the vaccine, the bioweapon, and then climate change. And you'll see what I mean. CDC now warns that red meat allergy is being caused by ticks. Which you might be surprised, that's not even new. But what you will think is interesting and hilarious is that the media will want you to think it is the way they cover it. Because... That's always how they do this, right? The new story comes out every three weeks and like, new story about a brain disease in Canada. It's like, yeah, you guys, you've been saying new thing, a mysterious thing we're still baffled about for three years now. It's just, they, but it's about how they keep it in your mind. So what this is about is kind of floating this idea that there's a natural problem, right? That ticks are causing this problem and it's causing you to not want meat. But at the same weird time, it's this undertone, like, but good though, right? Because climate change it's really strange so here before we get further into that as another video put out by well, it's posted by the researcher i'm not sure if that's his account exactly <clears throat> but you recognize this guy we've talked about him before uh sunel du- uh, duhand md he makes a statement here about another thing it's a different illness but is right now also being argued to be caused by ticks because of climate change I just find this to be hilarious, just almost laugh out loud ridiculous. And then we're going to get into the history of Plum Island and the reality that ticks were used to as bioweapons. So whether that's what this is now, that's for you to decide. But whether they have done this is undeniable, in my opinion. But let's listen to this video first. And internal medicine physician, welcome to another video. 
Within the last few days, we've had a series of dramatic headlines across the mainstream media, especially in the United Kingdom, regarding a deadly virus which is potentially making its way to the shores of the United Kingdom and the United States. This story took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it. It's a very rare condition. Let me share the story with you here. So here's the article in the Daily Express in the United Kingdom, the first article I want to share with you. Urgent warning over deadly virus spreading across Europe, biggest threat to public health. New cases of the infection have started to slowly move across different continents, with the disease confirmed in Europe, Africa and the Middle East. That seems like a very dramatic headline. What's this story all about? An urgent health warning has been issued after a deadly disease has spread across Europe in what has been described as the biggest threat to public health. Called Crimean Congo Hemorrhagic Fever, CCHF, the disease has recently broken out in Iraq and Namibia. Meanwhile, there have been some deaths reported in Pakistan, and scientists have warned that it was highly likely the disease could soon reach Britain, according to insiders speaking to Parliament's Science, Innovation and Technology Committee last week. During the hearing, a representative of Cambridge University said that CCHF may travel to British shores through our ticks at some point. So that's interesting, through ticks. So the same way that diseases like Lyme disease, babesiosis, ehrlichiosis are spread. Now, by the way, Lyme disease, for example, is argued that it in and of itself is, is, a, is a byproduct of the, of the bioweapon, which is why seemingly still to this day, we don't even know how to treat it or barely understand how it works. And most people misdiagnose it anyway. Like, it's ridiculous how long that's been happening. Now, people, of course, the government will tell you that's a fake news story. We'll go over the information in a second. But people like Robert, uh, Dr. Boyle will openly tell you that's a bioweapon, that the ticks have been used, and that's the truth. Now, that's his, he is the founder or the, the creator of the Biowarfare Act that the U.S. government still uses. And yet now he's a fake news conspiracy theorist, but we still use his work. It's just hilarious. Let's learn more about the disease. Well, according to the article, the disease is neurovirus, a condition which is spread by ticks, and according to the World Health Organization, one that has a grim fatality rate between 10 to 40%. So that's neurovirus, not to be confused with norovirus, and that mortality rate, 10 to 40%, is massive. For some perspective, let's compare that to the pandemic virus over the last few years, which is believed to have had a mortality rate well under 1%. Typically, this can... Think about how crazy this is, that, that that is the generally accepted reality at this point. I mean, it, so less than the flu, guys, not now versus always. Because that is what the peer-reviewed science shows. Now, that doesn't mean that we blindly take it at face value, right? We, we consider going forward that that could be wrong, too. The point is that they're the ones that have always said we have to trust that peer-reviewed science. So the current level that they're telling you to trust tells you it's less than the flu. Oddly, the people saying trust the science now don't trust that. It's hilarious. The point is that we trust the scientific method. And to this point, we can see the current level, the body of work shows you how clear this is, that the Ionitis group in particular, the leading one that I can find, has been very clear about this, that going back pre-vaccination, in, in that it was, I mean, dramatically less than the flu for the vast majority of people. Like 94% of the entire population was dramatically under any kind of flu risk. And, and then over that, it was, you know, I argue the highest levels of ages were mostly affected percentage-wise just because of the way they were handled in nursing homes and the treatment they gave them and on and on and on, right? But it's amazing where we, we can just accept that now, even though that is foundational 
If it's always less than the flu, then we know literally everything they did was based on a lie, which is the truth. And that's the thing that everyone seems to be coming to terms with, except that they were just being shouted down, like with East Palestine or Ukraine or anything else. Just We prove that they're lying. We prove that they're wrong. And they go, nope, we disagree. Experts disagree. <laughs> See, the point is, this is what it looks like, this collapsing empire where the people don't trust them. That's like the alien example. They come out and say, aliens are real. Well, pff, whatever. Like, you're probably lying. Like, nobody trusts them anymore. And that's a good thing, guys. That's a positive thing. We never should have blindly trusted anybody in authority. So thank God we're finally coming to terms with this. In addition, CCHF is found at small stages in Africa, the Balkans, the Middle East, and in Asia. So far, no recorded outbreaks in the U.S. have been reported. But in a worry for scientists, the disease could be expanding out of its usual territories and moving towards the likes of Britain and France due to climate change. So the authorities are blaming climate change for this spreading disease. But let's learn. I mean, I don't even understand how, like, it, at best, it's an abstract argument, right? Not like, to say it's, so it, if you're genuinely arguing that the, 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 type, the temperature changing directly, physically moves ticks over here, that's ridiculous. But that's not what they're saying, right? What they're saying is that the, the changing climate is causing shifts in environments, which then over time cause the, and that's, but it's, it's abstract. At best, you can't prove that, right? You could argue that this is one reason why we think, but this is how this is always being used. It's infuriating. Climate change is causing this. It's causing that. It's causing more diseases. What do you mean it's causing more diseases? Like, I mean, you could make it a, a valid argument for why that might be the case, but that's not what they're saying. They're straight up going, the, the temperature changing is literally causing illnesses. And it's like, that's not what's happening. And you listen to any type of intelligent person that's not part of the mainstream conversation, they're going to say, that's not true, which we continue to show you. It's just kind of embarrassing. More about the actual symptoms. The World Health Organization notes that CCHF is among the nine priority diseases it ranks, a system that lays bare the biggest public health risks. Among the virus's symptoms include headaches, high fever, back and joint pain, stomach ache and vomiting. In severe cases, jaundice, mood swings and sensory perception are encountered. And then they talk about some statistics here with some high numbers reported in Iraq. 100 additional cases and 13 deaths were so far in 2023 attributed to the toll in Iraq. So this story wasn't just reported in the Daily Express. It was reported across other news outlets as well. Take a look at this. Here we have a headline in the Daily Mirror. Symptoms of killer virus spreading across Europe and it's highly likely to reach the UK. Here's another one from a European news outlet. So clearly they're really pushing into the tick concept, the climate change caused illness. So it's the same kind of thing that it's climate change and the ticks move and that caused people to get sick and therefore climate change causes illness. Like that's the kind of abstract push they're making. But the real thing to think about here is, you know, is this a lie or are these ticks actually doing this? And then is there something bigger behind that? Right. Because the real question is, you know, there's a lot of manipulation taking place today. But if this is leading to that, what's the end result? What, what would be the reasoning of, of causing this kind of problem? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. Big pharma in general is an easy way to point at it. But I genuinely think what we're dealing with in a lot of cases, and this is I'm hypothetical right now, like if this is what we think it is, I would argue it's more about experimentation. Right. I mean, we're watching these things play out where these things are causing kind of these these like genetic illnesses or these overlaps that then like talking about the RNAi conversation or the mod RNA conversation. And what the I argue these were about experimenting with how these things play.
And these are going to be used in a lot larger steps coming soon. So that's what I think this partially is. Climate change is helping this new deadly virus to spread across Europe. So I always find it interesting when you get a story like this that is published across news sites at the same time. Here we have a situation where the authorities seem to have already drawn the conclusion that it is climate change that is driving this particular illness to spread. That's the conclusion. There doesn't seem to have been any intense debate about it. That's what right. they are saying. And the articles seem to be as much about climate change as they are about this disease itself. But in the interest of all honesty, this is a very rare disease that I had. Yeah, I mean, I quite frankly, I don't even think that this is something that anybody should even consider. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, like, look at the, all the hype about monkeypox that, by the way, we're literally still in an emergency, I believe, unless it was recently stopped, based on what? Like, the fact that they wanted you to be worried about it. That's it. But he says, at this point, it's also absurd. I would laugh if I don't know what the end game is. Ma if I didn't know that the end game was mass extermination, that's what this person argues. Tick caused climate change. Now, the, of course, the corporate conversation is, well, no. Lyme disease, and therefore ticks causing it, is not an escaped military bioweapon. Like, see what's really stupid about this is Lyme disease would be the cause of the bioweapon, which the bioweapon would be the tick, right? It's just funny the way, like, just they probably intentionally miss kind of conflating these terms. But the point is that that's a conspiracy theory, they say. Okay, well, let's, have, let's get into this. And I think there's no better place to talk about this than the outstanding work done by True Street Media on this topic. And a lot of other things, by the way. This was done in 2017. The officially ignored connection between Lyme disease and Plum Island. It's outstanding. Let's, let's watch this. And I'll, I'll do my best. And it's, it's, a, it's a reasonably long video, but I want to play it. And make sure you check out the rest of their work because uh, they're one of their, their the, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it now in the chat. Let me know. I think it's something men. Their recent documentary was outstanding. They do really good work. So let's, let's take a look at this. Now, keep an open mind. So the, the, the story is supposed to be that this is completely fake news. But if you if you take, you know, be objective and listen to what they're saying. And, and again, all the source material that you can check for yourself. It's really difficult to dismiss this. So when we come out at the end of this road, we're going to see Plum Island. Lyme disease is one of those illnesses that unless you have it or you know someone who's afflicted by it, most people don't even know that much about it. Minds of Men. Minds of Men. It's a great documentary. Other than that it's caused by a tick bite. It's been referred to as the great imitator because it mirrors many other awful medical disorders, including chronic fatigue syndrome, lupus, multiple sclerosis, arthritis, fibromyalgia, and Alzheimer's disease. Think about all the overlaps there. Especially many of those things are also things that we are like, have difficulty really defining or how it happens. It's... Hard to miss that. Just to name a few. Initially, Lyme disease causes a barrage of painful symptoms, including tiredness unrelieved by sleeping or resting, insomnia, abdominal pain, nausea, confusion, mood swings, joint pain, recurrent headaches, Sounds fever, familiar. chills, dizziness, difficulty concentrating, and even impaired short-term memory. All of them. All along the sides of this road are some very thick woods and thick brush, and I'm just thinking how much we want to stay in the center of this path because yeah. I'm about sick and tired of weaponized ticks. But ultimately it can harm organs and systems throughout the body, including the heart, the circulatory, digestive, and reproductive systems, and the brain and nervous system. Despite the fact that many people don't know that much about it, Lyme disease is becoming pretty common these days. 
According to the CDC, Lyme was the sixth most common nationally notifiable disease in 2015 and the most commonly reported vector-borne illness in the United States, thought to affect some 300,000 people a year in this country. I'm from Missouri. We have a lot of ticks in Missouri, and I grew up in the woods, but it's not anything like you see here. The ticks are rampant. Strangely, though, when people attempt to get medical attention for Lyme disease, a lot of times they're told that Lyme disease is really rare and that they probably have something else. Many times a person is forced to go through exhaustive medical testing for all kinds of other ailments and ruling all of those out before a doctor will even consider administering a test for Lyme disease. My grandfather went through the exact situation like for years. No, and we just, and obviously it was a while ago, too, so it was even harder back then. Even now, though, think about how long it's been. But they just, they, all these other tests, and nobody knew what was going on. And then they didn't, still didn't even know for sure. They just ultimately ended up saying it's likely this. The point is, that does not seem like something that, like, it, that, that's, that's like saying SIDS or SADS, right? That, that means we don't know, ultimately. So it lines up in the same direction, where SIDS and SADS are, in my opinion, pointing to other things that are weaponized. But I'll get to that later. You could walk in there for two seconds, step back out here, you'll be covered in ticks. Tiny little ones that are so small, you basically need to go over your body for three hours with a high-powered flashlight just to even find the things to get them off of yourself. It's a nightmare. There may be a good reason why doctors are hesitant to test their patients for Lyme, even when those patients are fully willing to pay out of pocket for the testing for it. And despite the fact that for some reason in this era of modern medical technology, the test for Lyme is still woefully inaccurate. For the longest time, the government has been implicated in and repeatedly denied any ties to the creation and proliferation of Lyme disease in this country, despite some pretty compelling evidence to the contrary. Lyme disease was not officially recognized or discovered until the mid-70s when there was an outbreak of what doctors originally mistook for juvenile rheumatoid arthritis in several southeastern Connecticut towns, including Lyme and Old Lyme, which is how the disease got its name. A cursory newspaper archive search revealed that the bacteria that causes Lyme, Borrelia burgdorferi, wasn't mentioned in print in newspapers until the year 1984, although Google newspapers came back with nothing at all. If you look at these towns on a map, you'll notice they are right directly across the Long Island Sound from Plum Island, which has been a government animal disease research facility since the mid-50s and doubled as a military biological warfare research facility, although the government denied it for decades. It's less than nine miles from shore to shore, the way the crow flies. Well, we're looking generally at the coast of Connecticut, where Old Lyme is located, just a short distance really across the sound. You'll also notice if you look again at those maps I showed earlier, the outbreak and concentration of Lyme disease in this country centers around that place. This See, this is about as ridiculous. Like, look, I would never be the person that would say, despite how obvious that looks, that, we, that proves it. That the proof that, that that's a very highly suggestive, a lot excellent evidence that highly suggests that that's the culprit. And an investigator would be like, "Well, clearly, we're going to start there." It's just like Fort Detrick, right? I mean, these are the kind of obvious things that they don't want you to be. They they say conspiracy theory. So an intelligent person goes, "Oh, though I'm not supposed to think about that." But if they didn't say conspiracy theory, well, an intelligent person would be like, "Well, obviously," but because they go fake news, very smart people get scared. And that's how this works, because you're not supposed to think that, because smart people don't think conspiracy theories. So they play on people's perceived intelligence of themselves. So if you think you're smart, you're going to go, oh, well, I'm not supposed to listen to that. 
That's how this works. I mean, we, we've gone over this so many times about the, the, the connection to these locations. I think, you know, it might be worth playing. Let me see. I'll just play the intro. I mean, there's a two-minute clip I have about Fort Dietrich, but I'll just play the intro. So look up, just type Fort Dietrich on The Last American Vagabond, and we have a lot of focuses on that. We have over 1,300 documented cancer victims right now, just in a one-mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you, it's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1,300 people in a one-mile radius. What's causing so much sickness? It turns out all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. That's interesting, right? And that's exactly what we're staring at here. And the idea is that just gets dismissed, right? And don't forget, that's Fort Detrick, Maryland, which is the, the hot spot around where all this really began in the concept of where there was the ground glass opacity and the outbreak in the nursing homes and all these different things. They all shut down and it was vaping illness and all these things we just pretend were totally not real. And all, it's so obvious. The, all the tests and coming up from other countries that was, you know, it's so ridiculous. But what he's telling you is that they know there's a problem and nobody wants to talk about it. I just think that's really, really powerful. There's one other thing I was going to play, but let's keep this video going. CDC admits that 95% of cases of Lyme come from just 14 states, the majority of which are located around Plum Island. Plum Island's biowarfare history dates back to World War II and Operation Paperclip, a top-secret government program to shield Nazi scientists from trial or punishment by quietly bringing them over to the U.S. and giving them new identities and U.S. citizenship in exchange for working for the government and military. Well, look at that. Interesting how this always seems to be a central play. The, the, and this, it's not just, in this case, Project Paperclip or operation, I forget which one it was, in the context of Nazi scientists. This was, all, and this was actually primarily, in my opinion, the basis for the biowarfare direction was from Dr. Ishii from Japan. Similar things, though. Horrifying research that should be they, what we pretended we were fighting against and then absorbed, or rather the government did. The, the other clip I was going to play is the idea of you know, showing the interesting overlap between the outbreak of COVID-19 and the presence of U.S. military bases on, on, in, on, in the world. Now, this changed post, I think, 2021, but this was accurate at the time I posted this. Right? You're seeing an overlap between the outbreak of COVID-19 and U.S. military presence around the world. It'll fade in and out. Look at this. It's kind of hard not to miss. It's kind of hard to miss that. It's pretty interestingly obvious, but that's just correlation. Right? It's not causation, but it could be. One such Nazi scientist was Dr. Eric Traub, lab chief during World War II for Nazi Germany's Insel Reims, a secret biological warfare laboratory on an island in the Baltic Sea where Traub worked directly under Hitler's number two, Heinrich Himmler. Traub's job included spraying viruses from planes over occupied Russia. Prior to the war, just by the way, Traub had been involved in Nazi activities in the U.S. at Camp Siegfried on Long Island, just 30 miles from where Plum Island would eventually be located, while he was here on a fellowship studying viruses and bacteria at, of all places, the Rockefeller Institute. Of course. Right? So think about how insulting it is as they're spraying from the skies. I mean, the, the way that they engage with this conversation as utterly false. This is a long-sought agenda. The problem is that today... They have technolo technological advancements to not just dump aerosol in the sky. 
but to actually do things far, far more nefarious that I argue are impossible to identify without foreknowledge of what happened, right? Like the enzyme conversation. Or like even just take the COVID-19 injection. If we had never caught wind of this and everyone just bought the story, nobody would understand what was happening right now, right? That's why the independent media is so damn important. Plum Island was specifically named for Cold War biowarfare research alongside Dugway Proving Ground and Fort Detrick back in the early 50s when the U.S. biowarfare program and clandestine germ warfare trials first began. Eric Traub completed his Operation Paperclip duties working for the American Biological Warfare Program from 1949 to 1953, during which time he consulted with the CIA and scientists at Fort Detrick before returning to West Germany in 1953 to run the country's own insul reams-like experimental virus facility in Tübingen. With the- right, so a Nazi scientist, Fort Detrick. Right. Uh, the, the Palm Island. Like so the, and were, these are Nazi scientists that carried over their Nazi research that U.S. pretended it was fighting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, this is very easy to look up and prove. We just don't like to talk about it. The uncomfortable realities here. The U.S. government's permission. Not only did USDA officials visit Traub's lab over there, but Traub also briefly worked for the USDA, which oversaw Plum Island, and throughout the 50s, he was in regular contact with Plum Island's director, Doc Shahan. He was also at the Plum Island dedication ceremony in 1956 and visited the place at least twice after that in 57 and 58 when Plum Island's lead scientist, Dr. Jacob Traub, retired, and the USDA considered replacing him with who else? Dr. Eric Traub. Seems like they got the location idea for Plum Island from Insul Reams. Can't imagine who gave it to him. In the 1970s, attorney John Loftus was hired by the Office of Special Investigations, a unit set up by the Justice Department to look into Nazi war crimes. He was given a top-secret clearance and allowed access to decades' worth of classified documents. Loftus turned up records of Nazi germ warfare scientists who came into the U.S. and experimented with dropping poison ticks from planes to spread rare diseases. He all- right, so just don't make sure you don't miss that. There's evidence that this was already a project. Dropping ticks, design, I mean, this is the reality. So why we would pretend like it's not something that is possible today always be- shows you that, you know, the very, like if this was covered honestly, the corporate media, let's say, would be like, well, yes, there is a precedent. This has happened before, but that's not what's happening today. That's not what's happening, though. They go, fake news. You're a crazy right-wing conspiracy theorist because they probably believe that because they're children. But the point is, it's hap- this is verifiable. The connection to Plum Island, to the Nazi research, to the fact that they were trying this and, and, all, and overlap this with what we just talked about in regard to Israel's overlap with this, their own ethnic bio work, and all that. It's, it's very clear that there's much more going on than we're being told. Also specifically mentioned in his book, The Belarus Secret, that he received information that suggested the U.S. tested some of these poison ticks on the Plum Island Artillery Range during the early 1950s when it was called Fort Terry. This story was further validated by attorney Michael Carroll in his book Lab 257. Carroll claims that not only did a source who worked at Plum Island in the 50s tell him that some of the workers purposefully released ticks outdoors on the island in 1951, and that they all referred to one of the scientists involved as, quote, the Nazi scientist, But Carroll says he dug up a box of 1950s USDA files from the National Archives vault that included three folders, two labeled Tick Research and one labeled E. Traub. All three were empty. Hmm. Even more damning, in an article in the Journal of Degenerative Diseases, 
Marjorie Tetchin reported that 60% of chronic Lyme patients are actually co-infected with several strains of mycoplasma, the most common one being mycoplasma fermentins, which just so happens to be patented by the U.S. Army and Army pathologist Dr. Lowe. Today, the official story touted by government scientists is that the scientific evidence does not support Lyme disease originating on Plum Island. This is despite the fact that researchers at Plum Island were experimenting with hundreds of thousands of hard and soft ticks on Plum Island, where classified top-secret biowarfare research was being carried out by the U.S. military for decades, and that the first outbreak of Lyme happened right directly across the Sound from Plum Island, where thousands upon thousands of birds fly. And despite the fact that they've been forced to admit culpability in the outbreak of other types of viruses on the island due to the unsecured nature of these experiments, especially in the early decades. Experimental animals for which being kept outside in open-air pens up through the late 70s when a highly contagious foot-and-mouth disease outbreak on Plum Island in 1978 ended in the government being forced to put over 200 of its own animals to death. The U.S. government continues to pretend like it couldn't possibly have had a hand in Lyme disease. Then again, the U.S. government has repeatedly denied that there was even any biowarfare experimentation going on on Plum Island for decades, up until documents proving otherwise were published by Newsday in 1993. Meanwhile, Canada has been complaining in recent years of Lyme disease proliferating there due to migratory birds picking up black-legged ticks when they fly south into the U.S. for the winter and come back up there with them. Of course, I guess it would be a PR lawsuit nightmare if they did have to admit any culpability of this after decades upon decades of Americans suffering and probably dying from Lyme, which they would obviously avoid at all costs in the interest of national security. Earlier, I mentioned that it's believed Lyme disease affects some 300,000 people annually in this country, but that number is basically meaningless because people are forced to go through a medical merry-go-round just to be able to get tested for Lyme disease in the first place. And then as Tetchin points out, many are only treated for it for a month on antibiotics. And according to prestigious Yale University, which has only been implicated in government dirty work for decades with Plum Island right in its own backyard, if the person still has Lyme disease symptoms on the 31st day of antibiotic treatment, they're labeled as having something else, whatever affliction the disease has mimicked in their body. In this way, if they die, they die of something else in the official medical record and in the statistics, not Lyme disease. And they no longer get counted in the Lyme disease statistics. And that's after the patient goes through the rigmarole to even be able to get tested in the first place. My mother went through this when she lived in Missouri and was bitten by a tick and later found the telltale bullseye rash. Her doctor straight up told her Lyme disease does not exist in Missouri and it wasn't possible for a Missourian to get it and that it was all in her head. And even went so far as writing in her medical chart that the patient is convinced she has Lyme disease, even though her doctor apprised her of the quote-unquote facts. She ended up having to go to a different doctor and plead her case to him and essentially argue her way into even being allowed to get the test to begin with. This right here is how statistics continue to be toyed with, even to this day, in order to cover up an epidemic that is linked to government biowarfare research. If you've ever been to Long Island, you see the signs everywhere in parks warning you about ticks and Lyme disease. That place is absolutely infested with them. Decades of animal disease research and burying the wastes of that research on Plum Island itself has left the entire place an environmental disaster. And according to Carol, repeated attempts to decontaminate the crumbling unsecure Lab 257 failed and they finally had to build a whole new building 
on the island. But the thing is such a mess that USDA and DHS, who jointly run Plum Island, started asking about moving it in the last decade. And you'll never guess where they decided to move the Plum Island Animal Disease Research Facility to. Very creepy stuff. And yet somehow they find a way to make it even creepier than Nazi-connected bio-research agents because they're about to move Plum Island, or have already started, to move it to Manhattan, Kansas, in the middle of cattle and GMO crop country. And Tornado Alley. And Tornado Alley. So what could possibly go wrong? Well, how about everything? Manhattan, Kansas. Basically right smack dab in the middle of the country. That's right. As Congressman Michael Burgess pointed out at a September 2009 oversight and investigations hearing on federal oversight of high containment biolaboratories held before the Committee on Energy and Commerce, which was held a week after, by the way, the vote on the House resolution to move the Plum Island facility to Kansas, quote, The language of the resolution proudly touted that 45% of the fed cattle in the United States and 40% of the hogs produced in this country are in Kansas. Considering that hoof and mouth disease, which is the primary research being done at Plum Island, is a disease which can spread with devastating swiftness from humans to cattle and hogs, shouldn't we have done our O&I hearing on the scientific evaluations being done at DHS before we voted on a resolution saying that Kansas was the best pick? Gee, you think? Yeah, a lot of people would probably say, so what, no big deal to the island of Dr. Maroon. Just a little genetic engineering, mutants, little hybrid. Few diseases. Little animal cells in our human DNA, little diseases here and there. Yeah, no big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this ties in with everything. I mean, the, 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 there's the SV40 conversation in regard to the, you know, this goes back a long way, but in the current COVID injections, right? And there's, there's this is something that is constantly present in these conversations. When we get a fraction of the story in all this. Now, there are some of the points that I wanted to make. Now, I, they, something jumped into my head while they were doing that, and I jumped off and was looking at this while that was playing. I don't know if this connects. So I'm not, I didn't have time to research this, but what I found interesting is, as they were playing this, she makes the point about how they're co-infected with other things. So that, right there, that shows you it's not just Lyme disease. So we're being lied to even with, the, with the, the, what seems to be a lie in and of itself to begin with. But they talk about pathogenic mycoplasma. Now, again, I'm going to do my research, and I could be completely off on this, but what I found really interesting, oh, this is interesting, down here it says, the invention relates to a novel pathogenic mycoplasma isolated for patients with AIDS. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm going to look more into that specifically. But what I found interesting was right now we're hearing this weird report about the CDC saying that Florida is overwhelmed with, or, you know, having a, a leprosy outbreak we haven't seen in centuries or however long. Really strange. Now, my first thought was like, is it leprosy or is it some of the vaccine is causing? Because we've seen all these weird overlaps with, you know, flesh eating stuff and prion disease. So there's something there that could just be a calling it something else. But what I found interesting when I looked into it, it's actually specifically called Hansen's disease, which then says it's a chronic infectious disease caused by microbacterium, leprobacteria. Now, I don't know if that even connects. It may just be a similar wordplay. So I just want to throw it out there. That's interesting. Now, my point is not to you know, muddy the waters here, but just to you know, throw out that there's probably overlaps that we're not even thinking about. Now I'm going to come back to that in general. The main point though, ticks right now are very clearly being focused on. Across, like everywhere, like we just showed you the start. You know, CDC saying, hey, ticks are causing problems, but weirdly enough are causing an a allergy that stops you from eating meat. 
Now, the point that I'm getting to with all of this, one was just to show you that this is a real conversation in regard to ticks. Here's CNN, 2019. House of Representatives orders Pentagon to investigate whether ticks were once used as biological weapons. I mean, it's not, it's very clear that they were. That's not even up for debate. Whether or not the Plum Island situation is how it was framed, that's the question. We know this was part of the research. That's clear. And then here is a, oh, I was going to play this. What what I'm going to get to next is the conversation of whether or not there's an effort to create an enzyme or a vaccine that will stop people from wanting to eat meat. Now, this is not to say that that's actually happening, but I'm going to show you the argument for why it should happen and then just have us ask the question, which is what they're so afraid of. I'm not saying we know for sure they're connected, but just ask the question. Is it possible if these ticks are bioweapon directed kind of discuss or just bioweapons? Is it possible they were made to do this? Something we should ask. I'm not saying I can even prove that. But why would we shy away from asking questions? It's called just research. That's again, it's what they're so afraid. It's why they go conspiracy theory. You're not allowed to ask uncomfortable questions because that's exactly the point. It's uncomfortable. But here is to show you that it goes back all the way to 2014. I mean, look at the headline. New meat allergy. New meat allergy linked to tick bite? Well, not really. Here's the same tick, the Lone Star tick, back in 2014. This tick bite can make you allergic to meat. It's interesting how it's always framed. And we'll get into that after this clip. Let's play a little bit of this clip at the very least. I want something she says, and this is very interesting. And then we're going to talk about whether this could be something that's designed. We are back 739 this morning on In-Depth Today. New health alert is getting a lot of attention. Yeah, the CDC sounding the alarm over a tick-borne illness that's spreading across the country, and it leads people to develop an allergy to red meat. Yeah, it's believed to have affected nearly a half a million Americans so far, but new studies show nearly half of doctors don't know about it. All right, so it's been going on for almost a decade, but they don't know about it. Does that make sense? They don't know how to diagnose it or to treat it. Joining us now is Dr. Right. Tara Narula. She's a cardiologist at Lenox Cell Hospital, Northwell Health. Dr. Narula, good to see you. So, first of all, this is very bizarre. When you think about it, you get a tick bite and then you have an allergy to, mil- to meat. So, draw the connection there. Yeah, who knew? Perfect story right before yeah. we're all about to grill over yeah. the weekend, right? So, this is a really interesting allergy. And really, we learned more about it in the last 15 years or so since it was first published in 2008. And, in fact, it is a meat allergy. Allergy, but it's also called an alpha-gal allergy. Mm-hmm. Alpha-gal because that is the sugar that is found in many meats, cows, pigs, but not in humans. So what happens is the tick carries this alpha-gal in its saliva, mm-hmm. either because it produces it or it bites wild animals. Then it bites you, injects the saliva into you. Ew. You think it's something foreign because you don't carry that, yeah. and you make antibodies. Then Ah, well, that's very interesting. What I'm going to show you next is exactly what is being designed the same way, but for nicotine, right? So we're, we're going to give you a shot that creates antibodies against the, the substance of, you know, the way your body recognizes nicotine, and then it makes you not want it. Well, okay, so the tick is biting you, and it's creating, you know, through enzymatic, uh, they're creating a situation where your body no longer wants meat, right? In this case, antibodies. I mean, pretty damn big coincidence, isn't it? 
then one, two, three months later, you sit down to have your burger or your piece of red meat and your body sounds the alarm because it's seeing oh. the sugar again and oh. you mount a full-blown response. So what, yeah. is the, what would the symptoms be if you're allergic to red meat? So some of the symptoms can be GI upset, gastrointestinal upset, mm -hmm. nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, stomach pain, headache, but it can also... Isn't it interesting it's even called an allergy? I mean, I guess that applies since it's because of the specific thing you're taking and you have a response to it. But if your body is creating antibodies, like it just doesn't seem like the right category, but maybe I'm wrong. Also be full-blown anaphylaxis, oh. itching, hives. But right? the interesting thing, Savannah, is that with most food allergies, the allergy happens about 15 to 20 minutes after you eat something. So it's very easy to make that connection. With this allergy, it can happen 2 to 10, 11 hours later. So imagine, how would you connect the right. dots? It just doesn't add up to it. If you wake up what in the middle of the night, yeah. you're not going to think it's because Unless of something you ate at dinner. Way. So it can definitely fly under the radar both for yeah. doctors and for people. And that's why this is so important, because there is a blood test that can pick it up. Aha. Uh -huh. Hey, and now just go get your blood tested. Look at that. It all works out. Full circle back to the original point. Get your blood tested. And then we've got your DNA. It's all good. You can detect the antibodies. And while there's no cure or treatment, if you recognize it and you stop eating red meat, it, the allergy can potentially wane over time mm -hmm. as long okay. as you have. Right. So then explain again why we need our blood tested. So there's nothing you can do for us, but get your blood tested, though, so we can tell you you have it that you clearly know you have if you can't eat meat. Right. But get your blood tested all the same because that's what's Boy, important. Tick bites again. Well, probably a good time to remind folks how the best ways to protect yourself from tick bites in general. Yes. Important. And this this tick is the Lone Star tick, which it's we artificial. were just talking doesn't actually carry lime. Yeah. But you're going to use the same measures, which is really avoiding those tall grasses where. Yeah. Don't go to Plum Island. Right. That's 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 the real point. But here is where it gets super interesting. All right. So, first of all, this is what I had up today because I threw. I mean, I was, it was really frustrating me today because I've talked about this clip that I'm going to show you more than once, right? About where the person is talking about creating it, you know, giving an injection that creates an enzyme that makes you not want to eat me. Exactly what we're talking about, or it's very similar to the conversation of what this tick is doing. And I, I couldn't find it. I mean, I'm not even going to waste the time to go into it because you're all very aware, but I had all these tabs up from, from Brave, from Google, from Yandex, from every single one of them. And I had searched in, Seven different ways, but it doesn't matter if you have the word vaccine and meat, no matter what you, how the context of the statement, you get like almost verbatim the same results from Google to Brave to Yandex. It's alarming. And it's like the same things. It's talking about mRNA and meat is a conspiracy theory. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't even ask that, which shows you how they've broken themselves to sell you what they want you to see. So I'm not even asking about vaccines and mRNA and meat. I'm asking about, is there a vaccine created to stop you from wanting to eat meat, right? But the algorithm goes, oh, well, they might be going for that conspiracy theory. Let's give them 47 pages about how mRNA is not in meat. Even brave. I, I mean, I wanted to pull my non-existent hair out. I was like, this is unbelievably frustrating because I know that video is out there and I couldn't find it anywhere, even Twitter, even though I know that it's on Twitter. That's telling. So this person, first of all, before we get to the video, posted this seven years ago. Just to start this conversation, it says, I believe meat consumption should be illegal and meat, quote, vaccination, mandatory. So he goes on to make this huge statement about, you know, ecological issues and meat consumption is a problem. And, you know, where his likely guess where his opinion stands. I mean, I'll, even one point he says, uh, it says, I'll, again, no need to argue here. That is the science, to the best of my knowledge. Classic, right? The science. If you're a climate change denier, please move along with eyes closed over a cliff if possible. Right? Classic. Right? So no, we don't want to debate anything. The science is settled and you're dumb. Like that's 
real scientific, bud. But here's the point. It says, the interesting thing, in my opinion, is that the tick bite seems to, oh, I guess I'll start here. It's saying an interesting overlap. That's where his reasoning is coming from. He goes, I heard a story about a tick that would bite you and you wouldn't want to eat meat anymore, right? This is the idea that I want to present for open debate by you wonderful people emerged and reading the article and listening to a podcast that stated that certain ticks can make you allergic to meat. In the podcast, a huge meat lover finds out that she became allergic to meat. And it says, and while she does say she misses it, you know, whatever, she argues that it's a benefit for the world. But it says the interesting thing, in his opinion, is the tick bite seemed to have no ill effects on her health other than the allergy, which, again, is not even true when you realize we, we went over the other things that are happening. But it simply says, and made the transition to a vegetarian diet easy so we could potentially change people's habits, whether you want it or not, with minimal effort by simply vaccinating them. As an example, if we had a vaccine against smoking, would you administer it to your children? As an ex-smoker who still sometimes struggles with this addiction, I know I would, and I would have loved being inoculated as a child. That's because brainwashed. Like, anyway, the point is, in our society, we make something illegal, ideally, as soon as it represents a danger for the individual. So this guy is completely doesn't understand what constitutional rights are, free speech, freedom. Like the idea is he's going, government, please keep me safe from things you deem dangerous for me. These people really exist, by the way. But it goes, that's why drunk driving is illegal. Well, not really. It's a whole other conversation. But it says we also make things mandatory when they benefit society. Again, my God. So this is his point is give it to people whether they want it or not because it's better for everybody. That's why vaccination is required for certain countries. He says, my point, I think we should make meat consumption illegal and vaccination against meat mandatory. These are, this is a re- my point was, this is seven years ago. And from that point forward, this was a reasonably prominent conversation. I saw this popping up all over the place. And then, as I said to Orwell earlier, I mean, I, I have seen few things scrubbed, whatever you think that means, like this. I mean, I know this. Is, I, I can't find anything about this other than people that just had it saved and sent it to me. But you search for it. This is clearly a story that I think doesn't want to be seen. Now, here is the clip I'm talking about. Now, this is a bioethicist, clearly linked to the World Economic Forum. It's on public. It's, this is a lecture at 2016 World Science Festival. Dr. Matthew Lau, I believe, or Lau, director of the College of Global Public Health Center for Bioethics at New York University. Here's what he has to say. Two examples. So one is that, so I'll give two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption of meat, then they would, uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, but people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people, they may be willing to, but they sort of, they have a weakness of will. They say, wow, this, this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it. I, I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about, so there, we have these intolerance to, uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance. I'm, uh, and there, some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use hu- human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And there's actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So that's something that we can do through human engineering. We can kind of uh, ad- possibly address really big world problems through human engineering. Another through human engineering. I, I mean, that is on the nose. 
That's the quiet part out loud. Now, he may not be thinking that's bad because he's just talking excitedly about something that may, but the point is the government and the people in power are licking their chops, right? I mean, what he just describes exactly what we're talking about. Here is what I always point out in this context. What are we talking about? We'll talk about bioengineering, bioenhancement, right? Changing your body, arguably, they would say, for the benefit of society or yourself, right? 2018, and again, you could point out this same point being made for a decade now. Compulsory moral bioenhancement should be covert. So based on his argument that this is better for climate change, better for the species or whatever they think, what this person does is take you to the next step. They say some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, so forced. I take this argument one step further, arguing that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, that its administration should be covert. You guys have likely seen this many times. This is to say that it is morally preferable, that's a stretch, to for forced moral bioenhancement, again, all these contradictory statements, to be administered without the recipients knowing that they're receiving the enhancement. My argument for this is that if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, which he's arguing for, then its administration is a matter of public health. I guess that's quite the assumption. And for this reason, should be governed by public health ethics. These are people that give the kind of altruistic, you know, if they're in like lab coats, then they're ultimately doing what's right for us no matter what, and you should shut up. These people might as well be in kindergarten, right? That's, that's the level of, of thought and naivety there. Clearly, that's not true based on le- just about any point in history ever. But they're telling you, well, we need to do this secretly to benefit everybody. Okay, maybe this already happened. Maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe they said, well, great, let's test out the ticks. Certainly just a complete random guess. I'm not saying I'm proving that, other than everything else we're talking about today. But why are we not allowed to ask these obviously potential questions or potential, you know, ask about these questions about potential realities? Very telling. Here's another example. This is George Monbiot, given more airtime by Ireland State Broadcaster, talking about how we need to stop farming. Right? Because farming is hurting the planet. (laughs) That's not a joke. You see this is what's happening. We're going to get more in this in a second, but here's what he says. Of our life support systems and what that means above all else is getting out of livestock farming. It's really shutting down animal farming altogether because that has massively disproportionate impacts on the living planet. And- now, now, are we talking about, you know, it slow, gradually shifting into some other resource so we don't just get, no, we're just going cut the, pull the cord, save the planet, and then, you know, we'll figure it out. Well, no, what you're doing is hurting people for something that we're proving, in fact, is not even remotely what you think it is, which is a whole other discussion. But the idea that you can just say, Dutch farmers, stop, as if that's not affecting immediately people's entire livelihoods, generational wealth, I mean, everything. You're ruining the country, and they don't care. The point is, they're on the surface going, well, net zero, 2030. Yeah, you know, all the things that we were laughed out of town for saying a year ago because conspiracy theory. Now they're, gang, they're, they're saying you're a conspiracy theorist if you don't want to do this. I mean, how many times do we need to see that repeat itself? Fake, 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 fake. Nope, here's why you now need it. And if you said it was fake today, you're now crazy, even though we called it fake 30 seconds ago. We need to switch towards other sources of food, plant-based diets, which are far more efficient, far lower environmental impacts, but also switch out of farming altogether to produce protein-rich foods, which we can do through precision fermentation, brewing George, microbes. I can hear farmers all over the small country of ours 
shocked and perhaps screaming at their televisions because they're saying, are you saying all animal farming, in, in, in your opinion, really needs to stop? Yes, it does. It really does. Um, it's a bit like leaving fossil fuels in the ground unless we do that. Oh Think about the hubris of people like this. Right. So in the, but let's just even say you agree with them. Think about the panic, insecurity, anxiety that this causes in people that buy into this. Right. I mean, on the surface, what they're telling you is we're all going to die. We need to do this right now. Like, in fact, it might even be too late. That, that is the message that they are sending to children, to people, that, the ones that are cementing their hands in the ground. Right. I mean, it's, they, they and then what do you think that's going to lead to or already has irrational violent action because you're telling them, well, we need to take another step because nobody's paying attention. So what are we going to do? Do something serious to get their attention. And yet, and yet apparently we're the ones radicalizing people by showing them that they're being misled. Come on. We all see what's going on here. I mean, it's very clear to me that there's an overlap to all of this. Here is the independent 2021 cut meat consumption and introduce vaccine passports to cut the risk of new viruses. No, yeah, totally not interconnected. The point is, it's all being driven in the same direction. And we, at the very least, we can't ask whether this constant focus is not something that they would make happen. I mean, if they're the ones telling you this has to happen and we're all going to die, wouldn't they go, well, yeah, let's just do it secretly because they don't understand. Well, they've already made that argument. Here is John Kerry. Somebody sent me this today. This is from uh, Aim for Climate Summit. And he has a couple of things he says here that I think are very relevant about exactly the larger point. Not that we need to reduce this, reduce that, but we need to basically shut down agriculture, like to meet net zero. Or at the very least, dramatically reduce this when it's, I mean, the point is right now, we already, I've proven over and over that we throw away enough food to feed the planet three times over. The problem, though, is that this is almost creating the kind of scarcity that they want to think, they want to pretend that they're fighting. It's pretty damn alarming. Championing this notion of smart agriculture. Uh, and and how's, how the rest of that smart technology working at the moment? As I've always said, these are things that anybody, if, if choice is the point and not being forced at anybody, should be lo- researched. Lo- lo- try to find ways to gradually shift this over and give that option to people. And that's where it's to stop. But that's not what they're doing. Where they're forcing in technology that is not fleshed out. And we're seeing these old, decrepit solar farms and wind farms that are proving that they're not even viable yet. And that seems like a choice. Uh, a lot of people have no clue that agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world. Yeah, and the question is whether those emissions are in any way harmful like you're pretending that they are, right? You remove carbon, you're going to kill the planet. The idea is that this is how the system works. And historically, you can show this. But again, it's a huge conversation that I've gone in depth before. Check out James Corbett and people like uh, realclimate.com, realclimatescience.com. I mean, it is embarrassingly obvious that people like this don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, Depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done. So he just literally said we need to get rid of the agriculture. I mean, of 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 everything that's that, and that's only thirty three percent. I don't even know how you make sense of this from somebody who believes this. So you're arguing to destroy the agricultural industry, which will quite literally immediately translate to death in a lot of different ways. To what? To save the planet? Like even if you actually thought that was what was going to happen, 
I don't know. I mean, I just think this is just this is a cult. At the same time, as we've gone into it aggressively, I've never argued that they're not destroying the planet. They are destroying the planet. The military, the governments, they are actively doing all the things they pretend are the are we're doing. They're the problem. But the bigger question, I mean, it, it's it's not even a question. I mean, they're they're all actively doing these things. They're trying to blame us for it, and then trying to put a carbon tax on us while they have passes. The point is that the carbon is not even, in fact, actually the problem. It's the pollution and the destruction, the masks and the plastics and the dioxins and all the things they're doing while trying to pretend it's life. That's the problem. That's really the point. Agriculture is front and center is part of the solution. So all of us understand here uh, the, the depths of this mission. Uh, I also ask you to join me in a very special thank you. I mean, this is quite... and what we do. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. But emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. Now realize what he's essentially insinuating is that we just transition to smart agriculture. But that's not what's happening. Ask the Dutch farmers. That's not what's happening. They're just stopping them. And they argue that there's a process, but in real time, you're watching the destruction of food supply, of infrastructure, right? So I, it's, this is, I, whether, I don't know whether he knows he's wrong or not, but this guy either doesn't know what he's talking about or he's lying about what needs to happen. To argue we need to literally stop agriculture to save everybody is one of the most counterintuitive things I've ever heard in my life. And instead of being on a course to be able to hold the Earth's temperature increase to 1.5 degrees, we're actually on a course to hit around 3 degrees right now. Look at what it says in the top left. It is literally a, a graphic that's saying we don't have time. <laughs> it's like a flashing yellow sign with an exclamation mark. We don't have time. I, this is causing irrational action. And I mean, I, and again, even if you think that that's where we are, why do you think irrational action is in any way like this is the equivalent of somebody? I mean, look, how about this? This is the equivalent of people on January 6th who genuinely thought that they were trying to take back their country. Right. It's, I mean, let's really think about that for a second. They're taking irrational action because then they're of the mind. And I'm talking about the majority. Some of the few, let's say, that really thought they were going to go in there and take over the Capitol. The point is that that was people that were truly radicalized by the government lies to think that this was something they had to do because, well, it was stolen. There's no legal process. The, the courts don't care. The politicians don't care. So we got to take our country back, right? These people are convinced that the country's going to implode and we're all going to die if we don't do something right now. What does it lead to? It leads to the exact thing that they pretend we're doing by informing people. Radicalization. This is how the two-party paradigm works. Say that to you folks uh, coming from some who've done analysis within the oil and gas industry itself who have come to that conclusion based on their modeling. Oh, good. So the oil and gas companies are telling us that we need to stop agriculture. We're all going to die. Right. Let's keep the gas going, oil going, but food's the problem, right? <laughs> he just said that, that the oil and gas companies have told us that agriculture's the problem. That's what we got to deal with. Very smart. So that's not some, you know, fly-by-night operation that is suggesting that that may be where we are headed. Right, because it's not like the gas and oil companies would lie. <laughs> Jeez. Now... A two-degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat.
And you, I mean, and so the so the answer is to destroy the f- agriculture because that's immediately guaranteeing that. You just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. it that, well, the warming Doesn't is the work. illusion. And as is so often the case with respect to the climate crisis, we have to fight on multiple fronts simultaneously. This is the biggest organizational effort that I think we have faced, um, certainly since World War II, but perhaps ever. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists, as a basis of physics and mathematics, not ideology and politics or party labels or anything else, as a matter of physics and mathematics, and some biology and chemistry have... Except the chemists, biologists, mathematics, and scientists are saying, a lot of them, that you're wrong. And we've proven that. But don't listen to them because they're the conspiracy theorists. Right? So it's obviously a misrepresentation. Because what we're, what we're seeing is aggressive politics, aggressive ideology. I mean, to the point to where it is quite literally a religion. But he just comes out and goes, no, it's because the science and scientists said. Well, no, that's not true. Some do. And most of them are arguably... Now, are, are directly tied to the government, being funded by their operations. But you have a lot of other intelligent people that are telling you that's not true. And I'll show you an example of that. But think about what he's saying here. Around three degrees right now. Oh, wait, I went too and far. I say that to you folks uh, coming from some who've done analysis within headed. Now, a two degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. And as is so often the case with respect to the climate crisis, we have to fight on multiple fronts simultaneously. This is the biggest organizational effort that I think we have faced um, Sorry, there's one point I want to get to. Perhaps ever. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. Why do we have to keep 1.5 degrees alive? Because scientists... Well, there's something I was going to say right there. Sorry to play that again. The, the reduce the emission, the food agriculture emissions to reach, to, to keep the one... I mean, anyway, the, 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 sorry to replay that. I guess I didn't have a point that I was going to say. Overall... I think it's very tra- transparently obvious that this is about an agenda to reduce carbon. Now, the question is whether that is directly affecting the outcome of the, the you know, the heating or cooling of the planet and whether or not that is something that is what we need to do to save the planet or it's about controlling your lives. You can decide for yourselves, but what I do know for sure is that destroying agriculture in the meantime is quite literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that, that was the point was. That, so you're literally saying we need to reduce agriculture to bring that temperature down. But, you know, there's nothing else we can do, right? That's the only thing we can do, right? Except as they drive in their, you know, their planes and their 14-car convoys and their... I mean, the point is the governments are the biggest polluters on the planet. So while you're focusing on things that immediately affect our food security, instead of your own actions, it reveals the reality. And the point that I'm making is it's on the surface. Oh, here, I'll just since I'm what I was going to say next. Oh, did I remove it? Well, I guess I'm jumping ahead. Hold on. 
Let me do this. <laughs> Hold on a second. See where we are. There we go. This. And I'll come back to it. Right? The idea, and I've shown you this before. You remember this conversation? This is about weapons groups saying, you know, but Ukraine, in a bid to allow them to keep using all the things that would have been banned by ESG. Not a joke. And they allowed this. And the UK has done the same thing. What it says is, whatever the outcome, the platform says the EU should become a global standard. Uh, Let's see, where was it? It's saying the block is about to embark. Sorry, I didn't have it open here. Efforts to produce social tax, uh, where was it? Son of a gun. <laughs> I guess I probably should have highlighted it then. Well, okay. It says, Europe now finds itself discussing whether, oh, it's right in the first paragraph. Come on, Ryan. Whether weapons should be listed as ESG assets. I mean, it's not a joke. It's, it, they are quite literally saying in this article that weapons, nuclear weapons, gas, oil, these things should be considered ESG because, well, they use them to fight for freedom, right? Because we have to give weapons to Ukraine, so we can't label, but see, weapons are considered in this case a problem, but not for them, right? The UK has argued, well, we have to use oil and gas because we fight for freedom. Of course, the environmentalists are the ones that, are, that care and actually are being honest. Or what are you talking about? That's the whole point. But what they're doing is getting passes to the biggest polluters on the planet while stopping you from being able to get the gas you need to go to work. Because that's, is that about honesty? No, it's about control. So going back to this point, he's here telling you that we need to reduce your food production instead of realizing that they're giving themselves all passes to keep doing what they're doing. There's nothing about that that's honest. Now here is a whole bunch of corporate news and corporate different discussions that are quite literally telling you we need to ban meat. Should meat be banned to save the planet? Spoiler alert, yes. They go, yes, meat's a problem. All of these. Here's Breitbart. EU backs Dutch scheme to forcibly shut down thousands of farms, ban farmers from returning to agriculture forever. You see, this isn't about transitioning. They're literally destroying food production in a lot of cases. Here's Peter Sweden. Netherlands to shut down 11,200 farms. Why? Well, to meet climate goals. So it's about some arbitrary metric they've decided at some meeting, and there's not some immediate, there's nothing they're they're doing underneath this to reproduce that food. They're just going, quick, shut it down so we can go go to the meeting and say, we did it. As people starve to death, as people are food insecure, while they claim they're doing it to make sure that they're not food insecure. 15 years from now, meat from animals will be illegal, says Michael Breakland. Here's Washington Post. Biden's climate change plan, and this was 2021, May not nix cheeseburgers, but scientists say beef should be on the chopping block. I mean, this has been a constant push, a constant push. Now here, we get into the concept of the other side of this. We talked about the tick, talked about the the antibody conversation. Well, it's very alarmingly similar to something that's already being used. Toma just points this out. I just had this when I searched for it. I found this pop up. Today, I learned about the existence of what's called NICVAX an experimental vaccine to make people quit smoking. 2022, you know, mid-pandemic, we're all terrified, but we're making all sorts of new experimental drugs. Like, it clearly doesn't add up. This is, we're being experimented on. And the point is, this is a vaccine that creates antibodies to stop you from wanting to smoke, or at least what we're being told. So overall, this is an injection that stops you from doing what they don't want you to do, or what they argue is better for society. That should be alarming. 
It says, it says, whoever came up with these things, imagine a future where the whole range of vaccines prevent people from engaging in certain behaviors. Vaccine to stop smoking, next to vaccine to stop eating red meat, perhaps. They clearly see it. Well, here it is, on Wikipedia anyway, Nick Vax. Nick Vax is an experimental uh, conjunct, uh, conjunct, how do you say that? Conjunct vaccine, conjugate. Conjugate vaccine type of subject vaccine. Yeah, close enough anyway. Uh, intended to reduce or eliminate physical dependence on nicotine. It's pretty simple. According to the U.S., the National Institute of Drug Abuse, NICVAX can potentially be used to inoculate against nicotine addiction. Inoculate. All right, so and here's a uh, 2012. So it's, and just for talking, this is not new. This is a study from 2012. The efficacy and safety of nicotine conjugate vaccine or placebo, co-administered with Champix for smoking secession. It says a potential new treatment in smoking secession and relapse prevention is nicotine vaccination, which is based on active immunization against nicotine molecule. So you see, this is like, you could do this with anything, apparently. So I ask whether this is already happening. We have this conversation. Eating your immunizations. We've talked about this for a long time. Instead of growing a whole virus in the plant cells, genetic engineers transfer certain genes from the virus into the plant's genes. Or genome. And we this is we've talked about this from twenty, I think twenty ten forward. Canada was doing something about this in regard to I mean, this has been going on for so long. The real question continues to be is this already done? Now here's an even more alarming overlap. This is just share I think uh who said this to me today? I just forgot. Oh, Brooke Jackson sent me this. We were just talking about it. I, I was going to get into uh, tomorrow. I have an entire show already lined up that was most of what I had today that I put off to focus on this. And I'm going to go over. We had a great interview yesterday. We went live. Make sure you check it out. I'm going to go deep on it tomorrow. But she sent me this today. Are vaccines offered for Ohio's train chemical spill? To cut to the chase, the, argue, the answer is no. But it's a very weird article to write. This was right after this happened. Vaccines for chemical exposure are unavailable. That's the point right there. So why write the article? Like, so the point is, this is setting the tone, I think. And a lot of this is about saying, well, we need vaccines for this kind of stuff. Well, no, we don't. (laughs) I don't want any more government vaccines to stop things that they arguably have a hand in, first of all. But the point is simple. She goes through this and says, you know, there's no data that indicates that, you know, that these things are really the point was that these are the only two things they're really worried about. The CDC says, no, we tested for acrylate and vinyl chloride, and you're good. There's nothing there, knowing it's more so about the byproduct, which is dioxins and others that they talk about. And this article does point that out, saying more than 90% of people exposed to dioxins are from eating food, which, remember, the CNN article wrote about that in 1995. Nobody cared about it. It's still a huge problem today, and that's, I think, one of the reasons the EPA was so hesitant to test for it. But the point is that they basically say, well, there's no FDA-approved vaccine for this chemical, for any of them, right? There's no FDA-approved for this one. Interesting choice of an article, right? I feel like there's more to this coming. They're going to start to go, well, we need things for that because chemical spills are pretty common. Now, either way, the whole point, just to include this because it's interesting, is that there's a focus on using genetic-directed vaccination. We're We're not talking about vaccines that introduce a pathogen and your body creates antibodies. Like, we're talking about creating resistance to molecules nicotine or red meat this is genetics guys that's what we're talking about here and it's really concerning to me now on it just one last note before we finish on a couple of other points in regard to climate change 
or rather, I think I might skip the climate change endpoint, but really the last couples, but just that this is the new CDC director wearing a Fauci mask with her de- interesting eyes, as always, with the, the cult of COVID-19. But she just said on the record that they are now telling you exactly what was absolute fake news conspiracy theory when we said it first, the independent media, I mean, that this is what, like 2020. There was a lot of us saying this. This will become a routine shot like the flu. Remember that? Fake news. You guys are conspiracy theorists. Well, she just said, we anticipate the COVID will become similar to flu shots, where it is going to be, get your annual flu shot and get your annual COVID shot. You know, by the way, still, even as they're not tested alongside each other, even though somebody literally just died from that. But, you know, who cares? Because Ja told you they're safe because you got two arms. God made you that way. Here she is, quite literally saying this. We anticipate that, it, that what COVID will become is similar to what we're seeing with flu shots, where it's going to be, you get your annual flu shot and you get your annual COVID shot. Convincing all American. Hell no. And nobody wants this right now. Not even the people that they pretend are on their side because we just watched them outwardly dismiss the boy, the bivalent shot, like hugely good for them for finally seeing the reality. But the point is, this is not even new. I think Fauci one time said this. This has been floated. My point, though, is that this is something that was once called fake. And it's now, in my opinion, quite literally what's already happening. That they're just going to roll this out. And, you know, they might not force it. We'll have to wait and see what the, the climate is of the situation, I mean. But it'll be there. And some parents will give their kids the shot. Some people will think it's safe for them because the government said so. And this will still circulate the population. That's the bigger problem here. Now, remember the tick conversation from 2014, right? So it's not this brand new thing. 2014, they were saying ticks causing meat, causing meat allergy, right? Well, in 2016, this was also being floated too. Washington Post, lab-grown meat is in your future, and it may be healthier than the real stuff. Turns out it's not, though. <laughs> We've already proven that. Definitely more dangerous. And I mean, let's put it this way. In my opinion, it's not even healthy or safe, but different conversation than right now. The point for me is that this is all driving in the direction of exactly what's already been set up for you. Memphis, Memphis Meats, lab-grown meat, raises $17 million with help from Bill Gates and Richard Branson. This is five years old. Here's the one we just talked about. Whole bunch in between. U.S. approves chicken made from cultivated cells, the nation's first lab-grown meat, which we just did a focus on, which I recommend you run screaming from if you want to read more about this exact very terrifying thing. It's in this article, or I always say that, show that you can watch for yourself. This is from The Economist. 2023, this month, startups are producing real dairy without a cow inside. Hmm, (laughs) that's interesting. Well, what they're telling you is that we're making real dairy artificially. So it's not like they're, like this is is the equivalent of like the lab-grown meat, but for dairy, cheese, milk kind of stuff. And they're claiming it's, uh, can precision fermentation eat plant-based milks lunch, right? So it's not plant-based. They're just, they're, they're from, this is like creating a human being from, from nothing. I mean, in the context of you taking, this is genetic engineering. You're making things from nothing. And I think this is a, and this may seem like a benign step, the lab grown meat, the fake, the, the real, but fake dairy. But my point is, this is a very short step away from going, well, let's just start manufacturing all this stuff. Because the point I made earlier, we're going to pretend that this country made a sheep, what, in the 90s or whatever it was, and that they did it in 2010, they cloned a pig, and then just stopped? 
come on, guys, there's so much more going on behind the scenes. And the question is, for all we know, they're, they've done entire th- cloning entire herds of animals or people. I mean, I don't know why we would be so afraid to ask. I mean, we know what has been done before. And so my question is that I think that's already happening. And this is just stepping in this direction. It concerns me. Now, the point about the meat that currently exists, there's a lot of ways to look at this. You know, whether or not there is an agenda to drive us in the direction of the plant-based or different things, which clearly seems like it's happening. So then you kind of, can, you see all these converging points. Now, it doesn't necessarily prove that's the point just because all of these independent things are driving you in the same direction, but it certainly should make you ask the question, right? So you've got tick, ticks causing people to stop eating meat. You've got literally everybody in the media saying we shouldn't eat meat. You've got plant-based things that Bill Gates working on, buying up all the farmland. I mean, everything is driving you in this direction, despite the fact that you can make a valid argument that this isn't even the problem, right? But another one, Pamela makes a great argument. She suspects that injecting livestock with mRNA vaccines has three main objectives. One, eliminate livestock and over time slowly eliminate us. Well, that may seem crazy, but look at what they're talking about. I mean, they're right now going, let's get rid of the livestock. So it's, and we see these injections also killing people. So it's not, I mean, this, you know, even as you say these things, I'm thinking like, you know, years ago, I would have been like, that sounds pretty crazy. But we are proving this stuff. That's what's so hard about the independent, the people out there that are like new to this, who step in or going like, man, these guys are crazy. We're saying these things not because I'm just randomly throwing out opinions, but because in previous shows, we've already proven this stuff. And I mean, as far as anything is proven, using the body of evidence, the science that we're talking about, the different uh, many experts testifying to it and so on. But then it goes, number two, scare people away from eating meat. That's the part that I thought was so interesting because it's doing that, right? My family's talking about that. Like My mom's going, oh, we're going to go somewhere different now because we don't know if they vaccinate their animals. That's what's happening. So to a degree, you're quite literally creating a war, even if it may, like Dr. McCullough has made the point that he's not, doesn't know whether or not mRNA makes its way into you from an animal because of the fact that it probably breaks down in the process of the animal growing or the breaking down of the animal itself, the fabrication of the meat, the storing, the shipping, the cooking, the digesting, right? All that, like the idea that that would translate is pretty hard to wrap your mind around. But then again, we know it's not mRNA, but modified RNA right? N1-methyl-pseudouridine-modified RNA is what it actually is. Made to last a lot longer, which is the point. So the point is we don't know. It could make it all that way. But I just want to throw out there that we don't know for sure. That we don't unnecessarily scare people, but her point is maybe they don't even need it to. Maybe it's just about cowing you into a direction, no pun intended. Third, profit from their toxic solution, aka meat substitutes, or this is also a What's the right term for it? Red herring? You know, they put this crazy thing in front of us that's disgusting. It doesn't even taste good. So we all go, screw that. And then we choose the new direction, right? We choose to go, well, this tastes the same. That's concerning to me. And then then a year later, we turn around and go, well, there's no cows left anyway. So that's all what we got to do. And they're all going, yay, we saved the planet. You know, even though it's not really what happened. Something to think about. It's all just hypothetical. But I think that makes a, that's a very logical perspective. James Melville points out, British cows could be given methane blockers to cut climate emissions. Now, we already covered this. We've covered the very disgusting and dangerous and, you know, chemical translating methane blockers that will, they do affect the cows and they can translate, but also the things they're going to put on their faces, the things, I mean, all these things are doing to them, which effectively create sickly, problematic. I mean, it all adds to the same direction. 
right? So if we go, oh, well, they've given them methane blockers, it's like putting an appeal sticker on the cow. You're like, well, I don't want that cow. I don't want those gates appeal avocados, right? It's the same kind of thing, right? And it effectively creates maybe what they already wanted. He says, and guess who is investing in methane blockers for cows? Bill Gates, <laughs> right? I, it's pretty hard not to see this. And then even just a more clumsy, ham-fisted effort. This was July 22nd. The next pandemic could spring from U.S. meat supply. You can watch it for yourself. I mean, it could spring from anywhere. I mean, I, I already pointed this earlier, I think a couple days ago. My point was, well, you could, it could spring from anywhere. You could say, well, the next pandemic could spring from, I mean, literally, you could just argue. The point is, it's just a height. The reason this article was written, in my opinion, was not because there's more so of a risk here than other animals, but because they want you to not eat meat. They want you to, they're just giving you reasons to go, okay, I, well, I'm afraid of that now. Gates, Gates injections, mRNA, or Gates methane blockers, mRNA, possible pandemics, mad cow disease. You start to see it? You start to see the direction and whether these things are at real or not. They're being used to drive you in a very clear direction. Here's the independent. This is from 2021. Meat eating creates risk of future pandemic that would make COVID seem like dress rehearsal, scientists warn. So mid-illusion of pandemic, they're going, stop eating meat because it's going to make the pandemics. And now we're telling us the climate change is going to cause pandemics and driving ticks that cause other illnesses. And it's like, it's just this nebulous of nonsensical arguments that just do what we tell you because anything we say might be dangerous at any moment done. Well, to finish, I'm going to probably skip this, but I wanted to point out, it's just kind of interesting. This girl, you might have seen, stands up all scared and says, KJP, well, let's see, how much time we got? Let's see. Yeah, let's just finish it. Okay, so to finish climate change, the whole point was that all this is being driven by climate change, and I've talked about this a lot. I didn't mean to go in in depth to finish, but some of these points are just kind of like an overview of how this is just very manipulative. Now, I thought this was very telling. This person I'm not familiar with says, I mustered up every ounce of courage to interrupt White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre and urged the Biden administration to stop approving new coal and gas and projects. So I'm like, okay. So first of all, the way she responds is ridiculously obvious. You'll see what I mean. But then on top of that, are we pretending like they're not the ones right now going like we're like they are the ones trying to pressure everybody else to go in the direction of these new green projects? So it's like this I, my, right out of the gate. I'm like, this is probably this seems staged, but I didn't know that. I just thought this seems really dumb because you're making you're basically framing it as please stop the things you're doing and then having it act like suddenly people care about standing up and like you'll see what I mean. Let's play the clip and you'll see why I feel very, very suspicious about this. Excuse me for interrupting, but asking nicely hasn't worked out. A million young people wrote to the administration pleading not to approve a disastrous oil drilling project in Alaska, and we were ignored. So I'm here channeling the strength of my ancestors and generation. Will the administration... Will the administration stop approving new oil and gas projects? Okay, right, first, when is the, when have you ever heard KJP go, no, let her talk, let her go, let her go. Let her talk, please, don't shut her down. Free speech. <laughs> really? Never is the point. But weirdly, let her talk, let's see what she has to say. 
and a line of my ancestors and generation will the administration will the administration stop approving new oil and gas projects and align with youth science and frontline communities from the north slope of alaska to louisiana I, first of all i appreciate your courage <laughs> right because she clearly appreciates the courage when somebody stands up and asks something she doesn't want to deal right or no she has them dragged out of the meeting or she insults them or she moves on like we've seen this with corporate journalists right or how many other times this has happened where people stand up and say like we just saw well what about the Nord Stream pipeline what about the lies about Julian Assange and they all go shut up get out of the meeting but no she stands up and says please do what you all I mean let's be clear the Biden administration on the record is actively doing and saying exactly what she just said now yes there's also oil deals and things still happening but my point is that to pretend like you have to stand up and convince them to do what they're pushing everyone to do, it just seems like such a transparently obvious ploy. But gives them the opportunity to go, first of all, thank you for your courage to say the thing. And then she continues. You have approved multiple projects since then and more at a faster rate than the Trump administration. We need you to act on your campaign promises. Declare Please. a climate emergency. Ah. Oh, it's written. Now, look, I'm not saying I know for sure that this isn't fake or whatever. I'll, I have another tweet I'll show you in a second. But my point is, so you stand up and say something that they are doing. Now, yes, there's still projects. She's not wrong. My point, though, is that you then say something that makes it seem like it's really hard to dismiss this as fake. Well, you're calling them out. Well, you, you're doing more than the Trump administration. Well, to average people, they're going to go, oh, well, that must be real because JJB wouldn't be okay with that. Well, yeah, this is a very clumsy way, in my opinion, of saying, you know, well, your, Trump was worse. And so we, so you're creating the, the feeling that you're tricking KJP into driving them into doing, well, the reality is what they're already doing. You see my point? Oh, and then, of course, then he goes, declare a climate emergency, which is like, come on, guys. That's obviously what they're trying to do. So Please respond. Please respond. I, well, I was trying to, um, and I'm happy to respond. So, look, this is an administration, and if you look at this president. <laughs> just, my God. I, I really, do I even need the letter? I mean, this is the. Basically, KJP's got like three responses where she maybe tries to engage with the question and then she has like this word soup of nonsensical things that mean nothing that she does almost every time she's, you know, what this administration has done is, and continues to do is ask the questions that need to be answered and they will circle back and make sure they follow up and they, that they are answered. And if they don't like that, it's, it's like, OK, what are you talking about? Okay, it's just it's and nobody can miss that. I just think it's hilarious. I know I point it all the time, but. It's just, it's just so bad. So look, this is an administration, and if you look at this president. So this is an administration, and if you look at this president. Oh, oh, did, were we confused that it was an administration? So let's make sure we all know it's an administration. Okay, that's clear. Now, if you look at this president, it's like. You look at the action that he's taken. He has taken more action on climate change. Than if you look at the actions he's taken. He's taken more action on climate than, like, it's meaningless, guys. It is meaningless. Now, yes, it is. I believe this is staged. 
but I just love to make fun of how dumb this is. And even when it's a staged thing, is my point, KJP is still clumsy with what she says. It's hilarious. Any So remember, her question is about the drilling and oil and stopping the projects. And her answer is that he has done more on any president and his actions will continue and, and his actions are about climate and climate's important. And Okay, are you ever going to get to the question? Well, no, that's the whole point. She's just really bad at not answering questions. Their job is to not answer hard questions, but make it sound like they did. She's terrible at that. And, that, and I don't think you can deny that. I think you well, yeah, she just literally did. That's the point. And he has done and there's always more work to be done. He's going to continue to be ambitious. He's going to continue to take action. <laughs> you see my point? What do you mean? So he's done more action and all the actions, and he's going to continue to take those actions, all the through actions, actions, actions. I'm done. I mean, she is just so embarrassing. Now, uh, Nuance Bro points this out. She's the executive director of Gen Z for Change, which used to be called TikTok for Biden. And they've been to the White House multiple times to meet with Biden and even Barack Obama. KJP knows exactly who she is and, of course, allowed her to speak. <laughs> which, again, you could look. It's just it's so in, these people are they think this is how stupid we are. Now, as they're talking about oil and gas and pretending like the whole point is it won't stop. And that's why they, I think they stage this to make it seem like we're in some kind of debate. The point is they've already given passes to all of this. That's what I was alluding to a moment ago. This is a new article from today. Banks vote to limit accounting of emissions in bond and sock sales. So just like John Kerry told you, well, the gas and oil companies have convinced us that the agriculture is the problem and they know what they're talking about. Well, at the same time, they just collectively voted to minimize their own accountability for their actions, because it's not like gas and oil are the leading problems in what they're framing as the uh, you know, pollution issue. Right now, I said that way for a reason. Like, I do think that pollution is a problem but not to the sense that the government should be stepping in to control our lives. My point is that ultimately the governments using these things are one of the most obvious issues, but it should always be your choice. My point, though, is that if these companies who are the leading problem, I mean, here's actually, here's a almost impossible overlap to miss. Kerry's telling you 33% of the problem comes from agriculture, right? Well, banks account for 33% of the capital-linked emissions. Huh. Well, that's interesting. It's almost as if the bank, the, the uh, or excuse me, the, uh, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm mixing my words up here. We're talking about banks voting to limit their emissions in regard to how their money goes. We have the oil and gas companies convincing Kerry that the agriculture is the focus of 33% of the problem, Right. So my point is that the banking industry, the oil and gas, the merchants of death, these are all people that sit at the same table, right? So my point is you have banks who are on, they're basically admitting that 33% of the emissions are linked to what they're dealing with. Isn't it interesting that they're going, but it's agriculture though. Today, it says banks working to develop global standards on accounting for carbon emissions in bond and stock sale underwriting have voted to exclude most of these emissions from their own carbon footprint. Yeah, real honest system, right? The leading carbon producers, whatever that means to you, are voting to not have to acknowledge most of their own footprint. Totally legitimate, right? Backed a plan earlier this month to exclude two-thirds of the emissions linked to their capital markets businesses from being attributed to them 
in carbon accounting. Totally legitimate. ESG is about controlling your life. If you think it's going to affect these people, you are wildly naive. If upheld, the decision would pit banks against environmental advocates. <laughs> pit them against like they ever were on their side. It's embarrassing. Banks with big capital markets, I mean the honest ones, I mean, big with banks with big capital markets operating in the working group argue that they should assume responsibility only for 33% of the emissions of activities financed through bonds and stocks because they do not have control over their borrowers as they do with their loans. So maybe here's a way of arguing that they should have control over the use of the money, which is partly what they're arguing through ESG, through social credit. So there's a very alarming point. But it says the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, an association of banks seeking to harmonize carbon accounting across the industry, the board will now have final say on whether to adopt the 33% accounting share for capital markets. Two of the sources said no decision had been made but it was reluctant to override the working group. Of course, it's not going to happen. You know why? The working group that's going to decide whether the banks can make this happen. Who's on that working group? Well, Stanley Morgan, Barclays, Bank of America, Citigroup. You get it. Totally legitimate group, right? Campaign group share action said that 33% weighting had been plucked out of the thin air. Well, maybe not, though. As they're saying, 33% over here in agriculture. PCAF has the responsibility to publish guidance that enables a transparent and unbiased assessment of banks' climate risks and impacts. <laughs> they're, they're saying, you have a responsibility, but the, whole, the unstated point is that they're not doing that, that they didn't tell you why it's happening, and they just decided, we're good, though. We don't have to because we're banks and we're in control. Well, again, in 2021, ESG assets rising to $50 trillion will reshape 120 or excuse me, $140.5 trillion of the global AUM by 2025. Finds Bloomberg Intelligence. This is unparalleled transfers of wealth. This is unbelievable. And then the point was that they're arguing, well, we, don't, this, we, don't, we shouldn't need to apply. This shouldn't apply to us because we're fighting to liberate. We're giving them weapons to fight for freedom. Right. Well, that's what's happening, that the, whether, they, whether weapons should be listed. The block is about to embark on the next stage of a taxonomy intended to define what, they, what is environmental, social, and governing investing rules, ESG. The Platform on Sustainable Finance, the group convened by the European Union, publishes blueprint for the kinds of activities that might be deemed socially sustainable on Monday. The list includes guidelines on pay, gender, equality, and humane supply chains. The platform proposed blacklist includes cigarettes, goods produced as a result of forced labor. On the question of weapons, it says the EU should draw on existing international protocols and conventions. Whether the outcome, whatever the outcome, it says, should become a global standard. But, but with years to go before this is ready, I thought there was one other part. Yeah, it's, say, it's saying a German defense industry lobby group, uh, well, it says, a, according to the defense lobby uh, defense industry lobby group Russia's invasion of Ukraine last week is highly relevant to the question of social sustainability oh is it now the invasion of Ukraine shows how important it is to have strong national defense what a mental gymnastics here so what are they saying I appeal to the EU to recognize the defense industry as a positive contribution to social sustainability right so it's exactly what we're talking about they want weapons 
nuclear this, this this including the uk arguments with this we've already talked about that they want weapons nuclear weapons gas oil all of this to be considered esg compliant for them well because they use them to increase social see this is a absurd game an absurd game well a few last points you might not you might have missed in all the the focus on how you're all killing the planet well they're killing the planet well the majority of fires in greece that we were screamed at were because climate change have been proven to be started by people. The same thing happened in California. It's weird how this keeps happening and weird how most of the corporate news doesn't follow up and go, oh, we were wrong. Remember that story that we screamed and scared everybody about and made all these arguments of climate change? Turns out it was actually arson. (laughs) Nope, they don't do that because they're not honest. Dr. Eli David points out another climate-denying conspiracy theorist, you know, who just happens to be a physics Nobel Prize winner in 2022. No big deal. Real story. Nobel Prize winner who doesn't believe climate crisis has speech canceled. This is Newsweek. The guy is a Nobel Prize winning physicist. (laughs) It's just so embarrassing how obviously insecure and wrong these people are. Peter Sweden points out, are you ready for the new agenda? Well, the UN Agenda 2030 app now comes pre-installed on Samsung Galaxy phones. Quote, we are working on getting back on track for the full implementation of the 2030 agenda. They aren't even hiding it anymore. Now, the truth is they never were really hiding it. It was more of an open secret, right? It was the 2030 agenda, even 2021, 2020, they were all, or 2020, agenda 21. They were all accessible. They just weren't really discussed. And if you brought it up in circles of average people, they thought it was a conspiracy theorist, even though you could prove it's like today. But now it's front and center in your face, an app on your phone telling you how these things need to go. Now, Professor Norman Fenton points out that irrespective of the extent to which you you do or don't now believe that COVID was a scam, it's important to listen to these people's own words to see how they've always intended to use COVID to push their disastrous Great Reset, Net Zero, Agenda 2030 plan on humanity. Current pandemic has brought unimaginable devastation to people's lives, livelihoods, and national economies. In case you can't tell by the very weird accent, this is Prince uh, Henry, or Charles, excuse me. Livelihoods and national economies. At the same time, the green recovery... The national economies. ...represents an unprecedented opportunity to rethink and reset the ways in which we live and do business. Now... I have long believed that we need a shift in our economic model that places nature and the world's transition to net zero at the heart of how we operate, prioritizing the pursuit of sustainable, inclusive growth in the decades to come. Having uh, been championing climate action now for the last, I don't know, I suppose 40 years, I can tell you that this isn't a fight for the faint-hearted. However, increasingly, we are seeing more and more businesses, investors and consumers prioritizing sustainability and thus creating a much more virtuous circle of supply and demand. By leveraging market forces and the immense resources of the private sector, there is hope that we can transform the situation. But I'm afraid we are literally at the last hour and there is real urgency for action. It has brought unimaginable... Oops, I went back on accident. They've been saying that for a long time, right? Last hour. 
Klaus Schwab says similar things. The bottom line, they're, we said this from the beginning, that they're using COVID-19. Klaus Schwab said that himself. And then now that we realize that this has been a lie, in fact, potentially engineered, kind of hard to see the bigger picture. And then that's why we need to start asking, well, what's going on with the ticks? What's going on with the meat? What's actually happening here? And how much of this is, in fact, being engineered? I would never argue we know because I'm not ridiculous. But I, th- I also think it's even more so ridiculous to actively ignore the possibility because you're afraid to be called a conspiracy theorist. You know, the possibility of things that almost always in history have been shown to be something that they're capable of. That is more ridiculous than anything I've ever heard of. That's just naive. But to finish, as Bernie's tweets points out, if you wondered why opposing views on climate change were hard to find, it's because of this. We own the science, she says. Verbatim. And we've shown you this already. Google has agreed to suppress online views, which we know. That's why I was just saying earlier about trying to find the vaccine meat conversation. Well, no, you get, but it's not just Google. It's brave. Not to say it's intentional, but it's everything. Every one of them had the exact same results. Hard to miss. This is them telling you that they have control. That You, you can argue they believe it's because of this, they're, they're right and they're doing the right thing. But they're admitting openly that they do control the science and they control what you search for. Because they've decided long ago, some of the people that may just buy the BS, that this is necessary because you just don't understand. These are the kids that are cementing their hands in the ground. They've been convinced that this is right. There's no conversation that we got to do it now. We're all going to die. That's irrational and dangerous. And these people might actually think they're doing the right thing. I don't care. The point is they're, they're, they're stopping you from being able to search for information because they have decided what the truth is. It really doesn't matter whether they're altruistic. The point is that some people, most of them, I would argue, aren't. And they're using people like this, if that's the case. At the end of the day, it is not freedom. It's not free speech. It's not the Constitution. It's not human rights from a world perspective. End of the day, this is the most clear thing I've ever seen. And on that, I just mean that we're being deceived about the, the true direction of what our governments are even accomplishing. That's a really core thing we need to start with here, that what the elections and all the rest of it. I mean, we got to start being honest about what this fairy tale truly is. But we, what we can see right now is that this is being driven. The meat is an immediate issue, but the larger picture, as we've talked about, the technocratic kind of build out. We just need to keep, keep speaking up. Keep doing what you're doing because you're making a difference. And this is why it's become so crazy, so clumsy, because you see through it, which only means it's going to get more intense. But if you or like me, it's not in me to stop. So thank you for tuning in. I'm going to finish. Oh, I'll make sure actually, I thought I downloaded that. Hmm. Well, I'm glad I didn't miss that. Hold on. Let me grab this video before we finish. And I'm going to end with this video that I do think is really important. Just how obviously they're telling you, we own this. We have made sure you can only find the kind of information that we decide is correct. This is the equivalent of what we talked about with James Corbett. Remember how, what uh, I think it was, the guy from CNN, I forget, or MSNBC, actually, where he made this whole segment about how he looked up the Fed and James Corbett's video was the number one video. And he goes, well, that's fake news. And he reached out and they removed it. And it barely even shows up anymore, despite it being the most accurate thing you'll ever find on the topic. Sourced, you can prove it. But that doesn't matter to these people. It's about control of the narrative. So thank you for tuning in today, guys. I'll make sure there it is. All right. Thank you for being here. Spread the news, spread the information. And we need your support. As always, guys, we have a lot going on. So give us some support if you got it. 
I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. You know, we partnered with Google, for example. If you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we Googled climate change, we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top. So we, we're becoming much more proactive. Um, you know, we own the science and we think that the world, you know, should know it. And, and the platforms themselves also do. Um, but again, it's, it's, it is, um, it's, it's a huge, huge challenge that I think all sectors of society need to be very active in.